Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everybody and welcome along to another RSL special programme at the end of the motorsport season of 2020. We're back on the two wheels for this show as we'll be looking at MotoGP. We'll be talking about the support series for MotoGP in a different show, so don't worry if you're interested in Moto2, Moto3 or even Moto-E. Uh, we'll be talking about that separately but we're going to, for this because there's so much to talk about just keep focused if we can uh, on the premier class of MotoGP which was an extraordinary year for so many different reasons Uh, delighted to welcome back Nick Damon, hello Nick hello John and Declan Brennan, we could not possibly do this without you, hello Declan I disagree with that entirely, but uh, uh, hello, and uh, hello everybody, hello two-wheeled fans. Uh, Let's, first of all, before we get into the the meat of what we're talking about this year, uh, talk about the season itself. An extraordinary season, Nick, because for quite a lot of it, we actually did not know how many rounds we're eventually going to have. It was a truncated season, as, as many championships, including World Championship, have been. But there seemed to be a little bit more uncertainty about MotoGP and races getting added in than perhaps any other mainline top-flight championship. Yeah, I think it's whenever you talk about absolutes in, in motorsport, there's always people who will argue the, the point about it. But I think that no one can argue that this was the most unpredictable season of top flight motorcycle racing there has been in the 70 odd years of the championship. Um, everything was up for grabs um, from the, the calendar itself due to COVID to the fact that, you know, three quarters way around the first race, the pre-race favorite threw himself out of the championship threw the whole thing wide open with his ridiculous chutzpah. And then from then on, we, none of us, and I include all the riders, the teams and the officials knew what the heck was going to happen next. Mm. I, I mean, it, it was it started in some ways, Dex, it started so well because the, the minor categories, Moto2 and Moto3, started off at the Grand Prix of Qatar at La Salle. Um, they were there just as the, the first lockdown started to hit and MotoGP actually didn't get there. And so... The season start was delayed to the Grand Prix of Spain at Jerez uh, for a very, very long time. And and even that sort of threw a little bit of darkness over over the the start of the season. Well, first of all, just very quickly, uh, I I echo everything Nick said. And the way I look at it is, uh, when I was a child growing up, uh, no matter how... uh, obvious the results were week in week out in formula one racing for example you get to austria every year and something mental happened (laughs) and one year alan jones won and the next year john watson won at a penske and the year after that and then uh vittorio brambilla won and immediately crashed so uh, it was always the austria was always the nutty grand prix 
2020 in MotoGP was the Austrian Grand Prix of seasons. It was absolutely the nuttiest thing I can possibly remember. And as Nick beautifully pointed out, and if you consume a lot of Grand Prix and MotoGP media like I do, uh, nobody even uh, attempted to predict what was going to happen. Like, nobody had really a semblance <laughs> of, of, uh, of, of a clue, particularly... Once we got into uh, three or four races in, when we when what we thought was a pattern after Jerez, which we'll get to in a second, clearly wasn't. And we'll start with Jerez. Well, the yeah, lot I, I, of unattended consequences of, uh, for example, John, just of of uh, of the the start of the season was starting in the middle of the summer, almost correct. almost during their break when they would normally be having a break. They don't normally race like that. For example, is a perfect example of the nuttiness. They were racing in a time when they're normally having a break. Correct. Uh, July the 19th, Sunday, July the 19th was when it all kicked off after a very long uh, period of MotoGP riders effectively twiddling their thumbs or whatever parts of their body MotoGP drivers, uh, riders uh, twiddle. It was 32 degrees in the air, 41 degrees humidity and an extraordinary 53 degrees on the track. It had been a difficult weekend, Nick, all weekend. Now, I don't intend to go through every one of the rounds this year because we would be talking into the middle of the week after next week or halfway through 2020 if we try to pick out every one. But I think that that first race at Jerez de la Frontera uh, is worthy of talking about. It had been a difficult weekend. It was clearly very slippery. Uh, The tyres and the tyre choice, it seemed not to make that much difference. Riders were finding it tough to get back, literally get back in the groove. Yeah, there'd been a long layoff. They'd been hyped up for a start of a championship that never started. They'd all, we'd all endured in various different lockdowns, depending which country they were living in. The the confusion about when things would start, and then finally got the under. As, as Declan rightly pointed out, running off in southern Spain two or three months later than you should be there. Mm. Um, you know, there was new tyres, as you said, John. The the, rear, the Michelin particularly brought out a new rear tyre, which which meant that some riding styles became obsolete overnight as the extra grip meant it was hard to slide it. Um, but then again, the track was enabling you to slide things because of the heat. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think, you know, the point about it is we don't need to go through through every race because this race was the one which decided the championship in its most significant way. And that was Mark Marquez wasn't going to win it. Uh, sort of. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, sort of. Um, Fabio Quattararo, uh Qualified on pole position, Dex, uh, by just on a tenth of a second from Maverick Vinales, who was in the middle of the front row, and Mark Marquez on the outside of the front row. So two Yamahas, then a Honda, then uh, Frankie Bagnaia uh, on the inside of row two uh, with his uh, Pramac Ducati teammate Jack Miller alongside him and Cal Crutchlow on the LCR Honda in sixth position. So that's the first two rows. The lights go out and Vinales gets an absolutely cracking start and heads off into turn one. The accident that everybody thought was going to happen at turn one didn't actually happen. Marquez didn't get the best of starts. He was getting beaten up by a few people. Uh, Bagnaia and Miller... Uh, made good starts. Davizioso made a decent start as well. But it looked at that stage as if the Yamahas were going to be the bikes to beat. And then Mark did his thing. He rides through, gets in front, and anybody else would have fallen off. And he doesn't. He saves it and drops back to three from the back. And from then on, 
this is where it all takes a remarkable turn. I I can't uh, I can't begin to describe having rewatched it. Uh, it's funny how your memory kind of can play tricks on you, mm. and how you you think things uh, unfolded. But I rewatched and it was absolutely staggering watching him carve his way back through the through the field uh, on a bike that, to be honest, jury is still out whether that that Honda even in his hands was going to be any good, but it didn't really matter because he was on it. And he, and this is the thing that I know Nick will bang on about and we'll get to later, but he just carved his way through the field. Uh, absolutely was clearly intent on getting back on the podium, uh, which he did. Mm. He did briefly. And then uh, he overtook Jack Miller for third. And that then Jack on Miller four. Yeah. Uh, Jack Miller uh, uh, got him back. Uh, and right, stop there. Uh, stop, stop there. Stop there, because yes. that, 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 that's important. Uh, I watched the highlights again recently, Nick, and perhaps the highlights underline just how you could say aggressive, you could say racy, you could say desperate Marquez was. He was making overtakes in those first four laps that were extraordinary albeit against riders and bikes that were at the back of the field there were only two bikes behind him when he recovered from 67 degrees as Dex told me before we started the show of lean angle which actually means you've fallen off and anybody else other than Vinales would have been on the deck at that point he's fought his way back up into a position and and then I mean 99 out of 100 other riders would have said, I'll take a breather here and see how the rest of the race. We don't even know if these tyres are going to last because they didn't at that point. But how much of that was Mark being Mark? And we've discussed that many times on Midweek Motorsport and having to dominate and mentally dominate everybody. And how much was that just him and his riding style? I think, yeah, the, the fact is that Mark Marquez is the most talented rider of his generation and you can have those whole generational goat conversations and he would always be included in them he does have i think as we have discussed before has some psychological flaws in that that he's certainly the antithesis of jackie stewart he does not want to win the slowest (laughs) possible pace he wants to win the fastest possible pace um he also has had a prior to Jerez, a charmed life with with accidents whilst he has hurt himself it never seriously hurts his championship ambitions uh, and he is the, the biggest beneficiary of the airbag suit of any of any rider who had currently been running. He basically got into third and it wasn't enough. He wanted to get further forward. He kept on pushing, pushing, pushing. He, he didn't want to leave the first weekend not being ahead. He wanted to make a statement. He wanted to prove to all the rest of the up and comers. And in fairness, you know, at that point, you know, uh, Fabio Quattararo did seem like he was making it, stating a claim uh, for following on from the strong end of last season. Um, and he wanted to put everyone in their place and he wanted to show that he was the man still and he kept on pushing and then it went wrong. Right. And so, I mean, remarkably, um, he set the fastest lap on lap 11, uh, which was three tenths away from the best ever race lap from uh, last year. Although, hang on a second. It says the race record here is a 36.7 from Quattararo. Was that in the following? Oh, sorry, I see. That was a qualifying lap. I see. Understood now. Um, so he's fought his way back up, Dex. Uh, and then he gets up to Jack Miller, who on the Premac Ducati, um, two things I, I would say, um, both 
Vinales, who you never know which Maverick's going to turn up, but Maverick was looking particularly feisty. Uh, Quattararo, see above comment. Um, and Jack Miller was being just Jack, frankly. Um, there was a bit of a scrap going on between the, the 43 and the 93. And later on, and this might be very, very important in what we're about to discuss, there was a, I don't know whether it was an unguarded moment, but there was a comment from Jack Miller that was caught by an open microphone. Yeah, uh, they do a, a, a it's, it, there's a kind of a, a, a candid post-race thing that MotoGP do with their crews, and they will they will go into, into garages and candidly pick up uh, various comments from, from riders. And after the race, when Jack Miller uh, got overtaken and Marquez went into third at the into turn one on the next lap, Miller got him back partially due to the the comedy levels of horsepower that the uh, and, that the, and the ridiculous amount Ducati of, has and the ridiculous amount of speed um, that that yes. bike has in a straight yes. line. Yes, but which of course and immediately Mark responded. Now, before we get to what happened, the comment afterwards, as we discovered, was. Jack Miller said to his crew, I wanted to do that. I wanted to see, I wanted to mess with him a little bit to see how he'd react. Mm. And he got his response immediately. Four corners later, Marquez obviously was back in front, got by him again. And within four corners, he was pushing so hard that he threw himself, uh, high-sided himself off the bike at turn five. Now, now and Keith Ewan, who was doing the commentary for the English language service on, on BT Sport, um, and, and we've since learned that th- this will be uh, this was Keith's last season of the remote or GP. And uh, fun fact is that Keith commentated on my very first car race um, back in the mid to late 90s when I was doing a Ford Fiesta race on the British Touring Car Package. Uh, and he, he's a smashing bloke. Keith had said in that previous lap, that Honda's moving around a bit. It's looking a bit squirrely. Now, the new grippy rear Michelin people were still getting to grips with, pardon the pun, but uh, in, intentional. Uh, and yet he was sliding the bike around. The bike looked like he was riding it right on the very ragged edge of adhesion. And so it seemed, uh, as he went off effectively exactly the same place that he'd saved the bike before uh, in the early part of the race. But this time there was no getting it back. And he goes down. It's a fast corner. It's the corner that... In some, well, people will say it ended McDowan's career, or, although it might have just been the comedy anvil that finally dropped on Wiley Coyote's head after he bounced down the ravine 127 <laughs> times. But, 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 uh, yes, that was the last accident that finally uh, did for the career of McDowan. Even in the fall itself, which was not saveable, uh, even by Mar- Marquez. He might have even got away with it. As he tumbles down, the race suit and the airbag did its its thing, but he got clipped by it, he got clipped by the front wheel of yes, his Honda, did. and it looked uh, it looked a, a sizable accident. But the ac- the same type of accident that if you watch MotoGP like we do, Dex, we have seen plenty of people walk away um, from an accident like that but the the little touch what looked to be a little touch in real speed and even in in slowed down speed of the front wheel on the upper part of mark's right arm was actually what did the damage and in fact broke his humerus well uh 
the long-term implications that are, are not yet known, and, and I know Nick Nick has some pretty strong feelings about that, but mm. you knew it was something fundamentally wrong because uh, they they cut back. He did walk away. He did struggle to walk away. He sat down, and then it cut. They cut back, and he was in a neck brace, mm. uh, getting in the uh, which was precautionary. But yes. he did himself a significant amount of damage, and particularly obviously his right arm, uh, and. And in that moment, or in the, in in those few seconds it took after uh, getting past into turn one and then repassing, and in those few seconds of whatever his thought process about how much he had to push, he put the entire championship in jeopardy and maybe his career, mm-hmm. maybe his career. It wasn't, it wasn't the crash that, that did that, Dex. No, well, let's come back. Let, let's 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 leave that to one side. So you've got the overwhelming championship favourite in the kitty litter. I want to come back to what happened on that Sunday and then the following part of the week in a moment because it seems only fair to remind ourselves what happened in that first race. The Yamahas at the front of the field had a decent scrap before Quattararo gets away, wins by four and a half seconds from Vinales in second, with Andrea Dovizioso for Ducati in third. Jack Miller eventually ends up fourth uh, for the uh, Pramac Racing Ducati, with Morbidelli and Espargaro, Paul Espargaro, then uh, Frankie Bagnaia, uh, Miguel Oliveira, Danny Petrucci, uh, all in the top nine. But let's. The significant part really was uh, outside of the win. The other main headline was we got the first indication that there was something going wrong at Yamaha. Right. So because we exa- had Rossi, Rossi's retirement. Right. And, so Rossi, Rossi retired, um, and. Uh, before that, though, and and this is interesting, the very first retirement from that race um, was Juan Mir uh, for the Suzuki X-Star. Uh, he was, you know, 20, 24 laps down on uh, a race that only lasted whatever it was, 23 laps. Yeah, crashed out of turn nine. Yeah, Pro- exactly. Nine. And sp- don't forget, don't forget, in terms of the bigger picture, longer term, we lost Rince. He had a really hard crash in qualifying, so there was no Alex Rince in this race. Correct. Good point. Uh, and and so we, uh, bench that or park that for later on. Uh, the Yamaha, the twenty-one Yamaha worked. The twenty, a uh, bigger part than the twenty-one. The twenty Yamaha worked. The nineteen Yamaha worked as well. Uh, and uh, with the sun on his back and with everything uh, going his way, Quartararo got his maiden win. And and that, to be honest, at the time. With with the implications for for Marquez's accident and everything that had happened the previous year, you kind of looked at things and and the press certainly felt this. Looked at it and thought, with his attitude and and mm. and how positive he is and and with a performance like this, he has to be favoured for the championship. Right. Okay. Let, let's let's hold all of those thoughts. It's Sunday. The race is not quite done, um, but that's how it ended. And off in the ambulance and off the hospital goes Marquez. The news comes out that he's broken his arm and that he's going to have to have surgery. He has surgery, and remarkably, on Tuesday, there's footage surfacing surfacing of him coming out of the hospital with his arm in a comedy sling set at at 90 degrees at the the right elbow to the point where he can barely get into a very large and very comfy-looking SUV that was waiting to take him... Oh. Home, obviously, for him to rest because 
everybody, including the team doctor, the Mortal GP doctors, the doctor who did the surgery, and his team boss, by the way, is saying he might be able to come back for the Czech Republic in uh, a couple of weeks' time. We're not going to, you know, and uh, his team boss, who knows a lot about falling off motorbikes and racing motorbikes because he was a very good rider himself, um, he says, listen, the way we do it here, we're going to give him as much time as he needs. And then on Wednesday, he's back at the track, Nick, which is extraordinary, without the comedy sling and and, and with an elastic bandage on his, a black elastic bandage on his right arm. With a, with a with a two parts of his bone not connected by anything more than some titanium plates, and that's fine if you're walking around. It's not quite so fine if you're trying to put the the braking forces of a MotoGP bike. Anyway, so again, it's all part of this this, this mental deficiency he has about having to do things in a you know in, in the most extreme way possible to prove everyone he's better than anyone else. And you know, it, it, it effectively. Has isn't it? It's like yeah, he's, it's, he's not, it's, 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 a, it's competitiveness without any semblance of common sense. No, that's it's what I'm like, saying. That's what I, absolutely, I, I agree with you. It's like he is a. He, do you know what he is? He is a person who is permanently stuck in the mindset of Ayrton Senna saying yeah, there's not a gap. If you, if you don't go for yes, a gap, I'm not a racing yes. driver. He can't move out of that. He has no sense. To, to me, the interesting thing was Alberto Puig, who, uh, the team boss I was uh, man, uh, mentioning, by the way. When he came back in, on that Thursday, there was an interview with him. And, and as, as I say, I've, I've recently rewatched the, the, the highlights. The look of fear and disbelief in Alberto's eyes when he was talking to the cameras about saying, no, no, he's probably not going to ride or, on Friday. He's going to have a go on Saturday and see how it goes. And the look in his eyes was extraordinary. Uh, he was explaining that, that Mark... Decks are done. There, there is. I should explain. There is a test, a medical competency test, that MotoGP um, make the riders go through if they've had an injury. Because clearly, if you can't slow a bike down, or turn a bike, or you know, then it's danger for everybody else. And he apparently passed those test tests with flying colours, extraordinarily. But the the look in in Alberto Puig's eyes when he said, and he's going to ride and try and qualify on Saturday and see how it goes. It was it was clearly not in the plans of the team, and this was all Mark, all Mark. And in fact, he was, what, barely a second off in the first part of qualified. It was yeah, absolutely Yeah, I think he was just over a second. I know. He was just over, which, to be honest, was absolutely insane. To, to, to Nick's point, he, he, has, he has completely bought into to his own mythology at this point. I, I truly believe that. And and he's and the Senna thing is really, really uh, very salient. And also the other thing, which uh, uh, Spain is a big basketball country. I would not be surprised if he watched The Last Dance during lockdown and looked at and was exposed to Michael Jordan's uh, uh, mindset, which I think he models on. This idea that you have to crush everybody in everything you're the, there's no aspect of what you do you can't be the best at and shouldn't be and want to crush your opponent at and i absolutely believe this is where he, he sits now for he 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 doesn't fully grasp that he doesn't have to do that yeah. uh, or else it's it's amazing and it's absolutely it's it has definitely cost him and there was no reason for him nobody is going to question 
uh, his ability, if he sits out three races and comes back and finishes third in the championship, no, you know, no, nobody is going to say, oh, like he, he's it lost. Would have been it, a, or... But it would have been a great story. He actually didn't take part in, in, in Q1, my apologies. But on times, he was That's right. he, just... He, he, he pulled out after, yeah. after FP2, I think. Yeah, uh, uh, and but on times, he was well inside. He would have qualified for for the first part of qualifying uh, and he, he, he couldn't do it um all sorts of theories nick about what bent <laughs> broke or whatever the plates in his arm obviously well, the bone hasn't healed yeah. at that point and there were some photographs which were horrendous there were some x-rays that came out of a, with a bent plate this is a bent titanium plate by yeah. the way I, I mean, there's big forces on arms on MotoGP bikes, on any motorbike, but particularly on well, a MotoGP bike. Don't forget, the, the official reason was he bent the plate closing the patio doors. Apparently, he was closing the patio doors because he just finished playing a game of tennis with Juan Pablo Montoya. Um, <laughs> on a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... Was he on a motorbike playing tennis? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it's obviously... I mean, he'd already posted these shots in doing um, press-ups on the, on, the, on the dodgy arm. He just... You know, he's running this whole macho world through his head. He's bent the plate. He's, and then, obviously, that has also contributed to some further injuries when he's then had that reset again there's now the worry of nerve damage Mm -hmm. there's a third operation apparently going to be happening in the near future and there's every chance every chance now i don't wish this at all but every chance he won't ever come back the same oh i mean whatever happens he's got a great legacy but you've got to say at his age dex there was more to come and oh god you know he's still in any by any stretch of the imagination, he's still a young man for motorcycle racing. I'll pick up on Nick's point, and then we will move away from this because there's a season to talk about and other riders. But this is such a big part of everything else we're going to talk about. Um, the I, I just wonder if he does come back and he knows he's not as good, what will motivate him? Because it's Mark Marquez. Well... Let me. The only thing that I think I can think of that's that's analogous would be uh, maybe Michael Owen. Michael Owen after his, his injuries, player, yeah. yeah. After Michael Owen uh, after his injuries uh, continued to play at a pretty high level, but his pace was gone, mm. and that was the most important part of his game. But the competitor in him couldn't, you know, couldn't. Uh, Cope with not playing, so he continued to play at a relatively high level. He changed his style years. of play, which he, he can do as, as yeah. part of an 11 man team. We're talking about one man on a Motor GP bike, and if he can't hustle that bike, if he can't get the bike to do what he wants, and let's be honest, he's, he's shown himself as the only person who can ride that Honda to any degree of success. Um, and, and if if that bike still i mean i suppose if the bike still has to be built around him decks then maybe that there would be some room for for maneuver if he had to change his riding style well you've made a really good point by the way that if 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 that bike continues to be developed around him and a substandard him comes back uh how do you develop the chassis the engines are are frozen Mm -hmm. for next year so Mm -hmm. how do you develop that chassis if 
or do you then the, the Honda and HRC have to do the, the 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 extraordinary thing of changing things again to adapt to a new slightly more physically challenged Mark Marquez? It's a, it's an amazingly complex question to answer. I think the competitor in him is going to want to keep c- competing until such a time as he can't. Uh, I don't see him retiring purely and giving up purely because he can't dominate the field. Mm. But we'll have to see. It's, it will all be revealed in time. But but it it will be staggering to think that we might. Uh, we might not have the same rider come that back might, again. That might have been the, the last time we saw Nick Damon. Um, not the last time we saw Nick Damon. No, no, that, <laughs> that, comma, Nick Damon might have been, comma, the last time that we saw Mark Marquez at 100% uh, when we saw him charging back through the field. Do you know what the ultimate irony of this whole situation is? Mm. If he'd done the sensible thing and sat at home for three or four weeks, yeah. if he'd come back at round four... Mm-hmm. He'd only have been 11 points behind the man who eventually won the championship. Because mm-hmm. in the first three rounds, Joan Mir only scored 11 points. And if anyone point. wants to tell me that in 11 Grand Prix, <laughs> Marquez couldn't score 11 more points than Joan Mir, I'm not listening and you know, to them. And you know how many points he would have been behind Quartararo after, after round four? About 56. 60, 67 points. Yeah. Only yeah. 60. Only. You went. Yeah, Quartararo had 50 points in the first two races and then scored 17 in the next two. Yeah. Which is chronic. Um, just f- so uh, Marquez is out. He's out for the season. Um, although we didn't really know that at the, at the time. There was still talk of him potentially coming back and then there wasn't. So that's the Mark Marquez part of the story. And the man who was nailed on, odds on, 100% favourite for the championship is gone. What that gave us is an extraordinary season where everybody had a different view of their opportunities. That's the way I would look at MotoGP for 2020. Riders who had never expected to win or come second or third because they always thought there was more riders in front of them because Mark Ace was going to be at the sharp end of the field and then there was another couple. Everybody's mindset started to change and the rider that jumped out ahead uh, and won the first two races was Fabio Quattararo, uh, still a very young, raw Frenchman on the Petronas Yamaha uh, and, and he wins again by about four and a half seconds from Maverick Vinales on July the 26th with Valentino Rossi Oh, is this a chance for the Rossi uh, of old to come back on the Yamaha? Yamaha would have their own problems later on in the race. And and this is where we're going to break away from talking about the riders, gentlemen, and talk about the manufacturers. So let's start with Honda because we've, we've talked about so much talked about Marquez. We might as well get Honda out of the way. With Marquez gone, Nick, Honda were always going to be in trouble. What we didn't know was how much trouble they were going to be in. Their first podium of the season, I think their first points of the season, wouldn't come until Le Mans, and it was a Marquez. It it was just Alex Marquez, not Mark. That was it. Without Marquez, they had Marquez. Um, Unfortunately, it was rookie Alex. He'd already, don't forget, been dropped by the team for next year before the race had even started. Yeah. Uh, and moved down the satellite team. Um, 
I think yeah, we, we've all all known for a number of years that the Honda RCV is built around a single rider. In this case, Mark Marquez, who's been significantly successful with it over the last few years. It doesn't play well with other riders who don't have his otherworldly talents, including his brother. Um, it's obvious that during the course of the season, uh, Honda worked at, at making the bike more normal should we say or having a wider operating envelope i think it still had the narrowest of all the all the bikes and and obviously had the purple patch in the middle of the season uh around le mans and um also um in aragon where we saw a pole position for it might be the typical grand prix it's still aragon though uh for nakagami um but it 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 Effectively, they never had a leader. The, their second best theoretical rider, Cal Crutchlow, couldn't stay on the bike and, and eventually was effectively succumbing to injury on injury on injury on injury situations. And the two youngsters, well, you know, Nakagami is a, is a good journeyman. And one thing he did manage to do was stay on the bike consistently for the first 10 rounds, which is really impressive. And they had no real confidence in in Alex Marquez. And he, he probably slightly overachieved what they were expecting. But the fact was they hadn't got another team leader to the extent where, to, at the end, they had Stefan Bradl, who is, you know, a, a, who's now a commentator for German TV and a, and a rider who used to be able to be come fourth or fifth, effectively being the fastest person on the bike. And it's just, you know, if all your eggs are in one basket and that basket throws it off the track in the first race and cracks all his eggs, you're in trouble, aren't you? So it's bad news for Marquez, Dex. Is it worse news in some ways for Honda? Because, you know, of all the things we've talked about about Mark, we don't know how he's coming back, if he's coming back, and, and what he'll be like when he comes back. And Honda have put so much into developing the bike for Mark that effectively they're going to have to reinvent themselves now. Whether Mark comes back or not, aren't they? Well, because they didn't, they didn't show point. like they could. They didn't show this season like they could adapt in any way, shape, or form. Well, I disagree with that. I think I think we saw the the progression towards the end of the year. Uh, particularly with Nakagami and mm. a little bit with Crutchlow and and certainly with Alex uh, as the year progressed when when clearly after Jerez Honda suddenly realized oh blimey if we're going to adapt this bike and do anything with it we literally are going to have to listen to all the other riders <laughs> so uh, so it took a Good while point. but we we saw progress to the point where we get to Aragon later on in the year the second Aragon and to be honest uh it became obvious even from towards the end of the first Oregon that Takanakagami had found something. He dominated every session at Oregon two, put the thing on pole, led till he fell off, which is three quarters of the way around the first lap. <laughs> but uh, but where the pressure got to him. But they by then they clearly had a bike as as inconsistent as everybody was earlier in the season. They hadn't really shown like other than briefly in Austria, that they might have a bike that could win. But then they certainly did continue to develop. And ironically, what it showed was that if you listen to the input of the other riders, yes, you can you can move the bike forward. That's a fair point. That's a, that is and, a fair point. And I don't know what happens if Marquez comes back. That uh, what do they do uh, from a philosophical level? Do you move away from what you've already yes. learned? Yes, that's a that's a very yeah. good point. Let's rattle through some of the others. Uh, Dex uh, KTM. Uh, don't talk about the riders so much. Talk talk about the bikes and the progression of the bike and where do you feel KTM did well, where you felt felt they didn't do so well for for twenty twenty. Uh, interestingly, it's hard. They they had their bad tracks like everybody mm. else did. Everybody it seems like had a had a bad track somewhere or bad tracks. But what was interesting was just seeing some of the general uh, 
characteristics of the, characteristics of that bike, particularly things like its power, mm-hmm. noticing that suddenly it could keep up with uh, with the uh, Ducatis. It could. Get, I'll get perfect example. Perfect example being the second race at Misano. Mm-hmm. In the battle where Quartararo couldn't get by Paul Espargaro, uh, despite Espargaro's, this is for third, when Quartararo ended up with the track limits warnings and then the track limit long lap and didn't take it and was penalized, he was penalized three, three seconds. seconds. Yeah. In that, afterwards, uh, Espargaro talked about the fact that he could park the bike in the corner even with no grip left on the and and he relied on the power on its power yeah. out it's it's torque and that's all new that's something that they yeah. didn't really have and that bike now is almost complete insofar as that it's it's almost and they nick you, i might be wrong but i still think they are they still in the position where they have a little bit more testing that they can do that uh over and above what everybody else can do but but they're, i think they're getting close to uh, having run out of their Jordans uh, or whatever they call it. Yeah, Jordans. their additional testing, but their that bike is is getting close to being, uh, I would say, like Suzuki, and they, I think this is what they're aiming for. They want a bike that Suzuki have. We'll get to it in a second, which works pretty much everywhere, and it, I feel like they're getting closer to that. But they're certainly they've upped their horsepower, and mm. it's a little bit better on its tires. And in, and Espargo, how Espargo didn't win a race is beyond mm. me this year. Uh, Nick KTM. Um, yeah, I think it was, the, the, you know, if you if you'd offered them this at the start of the season, they'd have bitten your hand off. Three yeah. wins, including one in you know, including one in, in Austria at the home, home race. Track, yeah. um, you know, obviously a large. I think seven podiums or eight podiums across the the, the four the four bikes. I think that was the interesting thing was it. You know, apart from uh, Ike Laconi, who was who was certainly very lucky at the back end of the season. You know, that all the other riders had their moments in the sun, even including the other. Um, rookie Brad Binder. So mm-hmm. it's obviously a bike that can be ridden by a number of people quickly. Not you know, as, as Dex says, not on every single track. Um, but that's it's, it's great. Season. It's really what they do next. It's how they how they kick on from this is the key point because they've had this this fantastic look at us. We can now win a win a race uh, season. Now what they need to do is is actually turn into a championship challenge. A prolific. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, well, they didn't win anything. And that includes uh, anything in the courts. Uh, effectively, they, 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 you know, Andre Iannone's um, doping case overshadowed everything they did. It meant they, they couldn't make any decisions about, uh, you know, riders because they were having to back him whilst he went through his appeal process. As it turns out, he finally got kicked out for four years. Right at the end of the season, they had Bradley Smith, who's a good test rider and, and not much else. Um, and the bike. I think I'm right in saying it was quick in pre-season testing, and then six months later when the racing actually started, it went nowhere. And it's a combination, I think, of them being lost and having no riders who can bring it forward. But, um, but very, the issue is very, very but, but slow, John, very, very slow improvement, uh, Dex. But there is yeah, some uh, improvement there. There is because because ultimately the whole field is contracted in terms of pace. Like you can be, you can be in Q2, uh, sorry, you can be in Q1, uh, and have only missed. Q2 by a tenth and you could be four tenths off pole or yeah, there yeah, was yeah. nutty stuff like that happened so so the performance of of that bike has absolutely improved uh surprise surprise so is everybody else's they've moved closer the the, the field is much closer in terms of of uh, it, the competitiveness than it's ever been before uh, and and it's something that uh, John 
you and I have discussed uh, off air is that I'm firmly of the belief that we're kind of reaching the edges of 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 the performance envelope for two wheels. And well, well, it's physics. You, you, yeah, you're totally getting to where physics is taking control. There's there's only so much more that you can do. And you are, I mean, we've used this in four-wheel sport, you are sharpening razor blades here. You can throw technology, you can throw money at it, you can get cleverer and tune the engine and produce more power. But ultimately, you've got two contact patches that get you around the corners. And, yeah. and, and your lap speed is... Is round the corners, Nick. And also, of course, they've banned the only f- outstanding um, you know, avenue of progress, which is getting your extra your extra level of grip, adding to your mechanical and your chemical with aerodynamic. But they've banned yeah. it all. So that grip, that grip is staying. That grip and that contact patch and that con- and of course we control electronics. And and absolutely, there's only so fast you can get you know anything round a corner with a tire that's going to last 45 to 50 minutes on a tiny little area we have seen some suspension um them playing with suspension particularly with um launch control winding yeah. suspension up winding suspension down uh, i suppose you could make that more like active rise which might help getting out of corners and getting more traction out of corners my goodness they've got very very advanced electronics and traction control uh, as well but i'm with dex here I, I think we're getting very close to the outer limits you might get faster in a straight line but then you've got to stop the thing and get it turned so you, you might get John- faster laps and, and John, that was that was underlined by removing Marquez. And if 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 if, if Nick's uh, theory is right, and that all of the other riders are all of the other riders, mm-hmm. uh, then it's no it's no shock that half a second covers the whole field in practice. Mm-hmm. Or it's because because there's the, it's kind of like watching uh, a, a, the GT. Uh, LM field at, or the GTD field at Daytona where when all the pros get in the car because the cars are so evenly matched that yeah that's balance of performance that we're talking about there not... within three tenths of one another like nobody is, is stands out and MotoGP but, is but that's designed in because it's balance of performance so that no particular car has an inherent uh, advantage because of its layout its size its frontal area what we're talking about here is having the same effect but in motorcycle terms because there isn't any much more performance to get. So, I, so back to Apria, I think Apria are going to get even closer. I think mm. they will inch forward, particularly seeing as their platform is is very much uh, a, a using the the Ducati blueprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they'll they'll move a little bit closer. I think they've done themselves no favors by not looking at a, a, a at a strong. Uh, in all deference to Bradley Smith and. Uh, and anybody else who they choose to put on that bike, unless they put, they need to find a, a, a top line or close to top line rider. And which kind of, it amazes me, for example, that Davi didn't think uh, about taking uh, the second seat or effectively the first seat would have been with if he'd been on it at a, at a Priya because the bike is effectively another Ducati, although that may be exactly why he didn't want to take well, the ride. There you go. But, uh, so let's talk about Ducati then. Dex, it's cracking engine, probably you know, you a fastest thing in a straight line. They have, they have so much work to do in every department. Uh, I, from from the dry, from the rider lineup next year, and in terms of how that was picked, to the way they manage their current, they manage their their, their existing set of riders, to the inherent capabilities of the bike, they're all over the place. Mm. 
it's it feels with Jacati like they it's kind of like John Alessi driving a fast Formula One car. Mm-hmm. Uh, he never really knew why he was going quickly. He just went quickly. Uh, and and I feel like with Ducati, they don't fundamentally know why they're so good uh, when they're good. And therefore, when they're not, they don't know how to fix it. They've also tried, Nick, probably one of the hardest to embrace Aero. Had a lot of time in mm-hmm. Audi's wind tunnel. Um, did a, a, a lot of work there. Um, they have got that. Uh, and I'm going to be terribly stereotypical, but that Southern European shrug of the shoulders and point the finger somewhere else that Ferrari had for a very long time and only changed when there was some, you know, John Barnard and Northern European influences on Ferrari. Um, It's... And looking after the riders, it's not in their DNA. Very Ferrari as well there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they spent a lot of time in the wind tunnel. They'd have probably done it been much better off spending a lot of time developing their HR department, to be honest. <laughs> um, De- I need Dex's help now. What is the name of the documentary with about Andrea De Vizioso? Undaunted. Undaunted. You need to watch that because basically that's 45 minutes. It's in, tra- it's, in it's subtitled. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a, a interesting portrait of a racing of a, of a right racing rider. It is a much bigger portrait of what's wrong with Ducati. Just watch- should have been called Unwanted, I thought. Yeah, you just watch those 45 minutes. It's free, it's free on a number of... I think it's free on YouTube, so anyone can watch it. But mm. realistically, that tells you all you need to know. Right. Uh, let's... Petrucci, uh, can I just say, Petrucci thanked... Petrucci? I have to get this right. They, he thanked uh, Gigi Zellini and, and basically and, and Ducati for uh, sacking him as early as they did. Yes. So he could, uh, so he could get, get himself a decent ride. Uh, and basically, when he won in France... Uh, uh, did a- a- everything he could to rub their nose in it. Yes, he did. Uh, it was absolutely extraordinary. They, I think I said it a few couple of weeks ago. He and, and Divisioso effectively shot their way out of town with Ducati. It's like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid uh, <laughs> in the final. Uh, but the thing is, it has ruined that type of of, of driver stroke rider management has ruined people. Uh, it has ended careers it certainly ended people's upward uh, trajectory uh, in careers uh, we're talking about MotoGP 2020 an extraordinary season on so many levels we're looking uh, before we look at the riders uh, at the top end of the field uh, I've got Declan Brennan and Nick Damon with me and uh, before we uh, look at the riders we've got a couple of other manufacturers that we're going through at the moment uh, so Suzuki were the, the champions. Uh, we'll we'll talk about Suzuki in a moment. But we've, we we, oh, we sorry just to finish uh, quickly. They were champions, but but they were pipped to the manufacturer's title by by Ducati. Yes, which good I point. Be, exactly the point I was going to make. Ashamed. Actually, if I was Ducati, I wouldn't take the trophy. I'd be ashamed. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. No, we don't really deserve it. No, it, it's it, not it, fair size, though, is it? No, because Suzuki's only got two bikes. Uh, only got two. Because uh, just to, to the people who don't understand, the constructor standings within MotoGP is your single best result mm. uh, in the race. So whoever is your best rider, of course, um, Yamaha have four riders to choose from with the satellite team, as do Honda, as do um, uh, Ducati. But of course, uh, K- uh, and KTM have four as well. But Suzuki and Aprilia only have two. So Remember the conversation that we had with Davide um, 
at the beginning of David Ibrivio at the beginning of the season. In fact, before the season started, he was out at the 24 hours of Dubai and came up to the booth. I had a long chat with him, not on the air, off the air, when we talked about, you know, would he like to have a satellite team? Yes, he would, but they didn't have the money for it. And, you know, I, I mean, all right, okay, so we started talking about Suzuki. So we'll leave Yamaha at last because that uh, will take us some time. Um, in in that respect, Nick, Suzuki have done an awful lot with a budget that is nowhere near the other manufacturers and with resources. I know Suzuki looks and sounds like a big motorcycle uh, manufacturer, and, and it is, but it's nowhere near any of the other um, uh, Japanese brands, and they do not have the resources or the finances to go behind their racing. Well, they don't. They say I think you know, Suzuki is a is a large you know conglomerate within uh, in Japan. They have ability to do those sort of things. But I, mean, I think the thing about the Suzuki motorcycle is, yeah, they only had two riders. They could concentrate on those two riders. They had two very consistent riders, and they had a bike that kind of worked reasonably everywhere yeah. it wasn't peaky you didn't turn up and think oh will this be a yamaha track will this be a honda track will this be a ducati track because you always knew it would be a suzuki will be there or thereabouts track um possibly the exceptions of the last last of the year which port out but that was down some electrics problems but yeah i think that, and they, they basically designed themselves a very 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 effective weapon mm. against people who have got peaky performance everywhere they were just the, the bike that was always second best and and Dex, the one thing that the Suzuki did consistently, actually two things that the, the uh, I'll come in again, uh, the, <laughs> the things that Suzuki did consistently well throughout the year, which was an advantage in the races. Number one, they looked after the tyres pretty much everywhere. Number two, my God, that GSXRR can turn. It can turn anywhere. Again, watching the highlights, Johan Mir at, I think, the second race at the Marcus Simicelli uh, circuit diving down the inside of people on a, a, a flip a, on a, or on yeah. a flip flop where you're going from yeah. hard over on the right to hard over on the left. The way it changed direction and how you could hold a tight line, arrogant the same coming out the final corner, holding the tight line but not damaging the corner, not damaging the edges of the tyre. That was to me the thing that set Suzuki apart right throughout the season. Well, when you had a tyre particularly the rear, uh, where, uh, and we, we heard this every every race, we heard this, you'd get three quarters of the way through the race and you'd, you'd hear, this is the part of the race where we don't know what, what's, mm-hmm. what the tour is going to do. This was every single week, no matter who was leading, no matter which bike was, it was like every single week. Are we going to fall off the cliff? Or, like it was, and with that said, uh, you you had the advantage if you're on a Suzuki where you were, you were the, that was the, you were the least amount of doubt <laughs> about your performance. And, and every week after about the third or fourth race, it was the same thing. Three quarters of the way through the race. Oh, look, there's one mirror. Mm. Oh, look, he's fifth. Mm-hmm. Now he's fourth. Mm-hmm. Now he's third. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jimmy know, Johnson of uh, MotoGP. Yes, he just he was, was there robbed, when it mattered. Robbed of the win at, uh, at, at, uh, Austria too. Uh, that'd be von Styria because of. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of. I'm sorry. No, it was the second one when uh, the red flag came out because of 
uh, Maverick Vinales having to throw himself off the bike. Yes, correct. Uh, and they had no new tyres to put on the bike. They did the correct. Uh, the same way Paul Spargo was robbed of the win from the from from race one. But by the way, that wasn't because they'd forgotten to bring them. There is a tyre limit uh, over yeah. the weekends, and you know, reasonably, the race had started, so they put a new set of tyres on the bike. They weren't holding something back just in case. No. Well, let's talk about the one. So the one thing, that, they're the things that did, and again, allowed them to be competitive pretty much everywhere. The one thing they didn't have is uh, the the ultimate speed with a new tyre. Yeah. Uh, and that cost them in qualifying. Yeah. So the, the reason we would see Juan Mir... Uh, uh, creep up on people towards the end is because he couldn't, a lot of the times he couldn't qualify far enough up and it took him uh, a few laps to get the tyre going. I, I, I do wonder if something that both you and, and Nick have said here and in fact uh, elsewhere uh, before we, we came on the air, the fact that they only had two riders, maybe that made things less complicated for Suzuki. They had fewer voices to listen to and they actually concentrated on what they were doing well, I, I don't know, maybe. Uh, they're they're going to have more bikes in the future. Um, and we can so talk about that when we're going to do a preview. We need to move on to, to Yamaha right. because otherwise we won't have time to, to give this the time that it needs. Because, you know... Uh, you know what, John? Go on. If, if you turn around. Aprilia is an unmitigated mess. Mm-hmm. Ducati is an unmitigated mess. And somehow Yamaha managed to be a bigger mess. Yeah. It's... Amazing. Uh, the the usual Yamaha, uh, not very good on full tanks, uh, reared its head, uh, as it always does, Dex. But it was beyond that. They had engine problems early on. You, you, you intimated that with uh, a couple of, of retirements in the early part of the season. Uh, there's an engine regulation as well about how many engines you can have through the year. They looked like they were going to be in in massive trouble. Then they fell foul of regulations because they um, remade some uh, components valves. within the engine, valves. Yeah. Uh, and they, I mean, there's nothing wrong in doing that, but they didn't. I mean, it, effectively, it was process as much as it was anything else because they didn't fill the paperwork in properly and didn't get the homologation right. It was uh, also, it was process. And then uh, the old thing about the nut behind the wheel. Uh, I think what they didn't have was the right people on the 2020 bike uh, who would be listened to. Mm. Uh, and I, and what I mean by that is uh, Rossi's on his way at the door mm-hmm. Uh Quartararo and Vinales are the ones that they, they, they are they are relying on, and not one of them is probably too young and too inexperienced. And the other one, Vinales, doesn't necessarily know what he's doing. You go back to the full tanks thing; he he rarely practiced, if ever, uh, uh, on full tanks and yeah. used tires. And there's all, there's there's crazy stuff that came out this season that just makes you just scratch your head when it comes to their process and so and so you had you had also you had the specter of this hybrid 2019 frame with a 2020 engine as well wasn't that what morbidelli was riding morbidelli has, is on the 19 frame and the 19 engine is right. he not well I, I i don't know that's why i've asked that question i i, I thought he got an upgrade no, part he of the... had the same engine issue as everyone else yeah that, that, I, that, I, that you're right that, that would see yeah it's the frame he's got the 19 frame so, what what blew my mind, John, is that uh, is the 
their inability, unlike Suzuki, to make the best of the bike in the worst conditions. That would have mm. won them the world championship, oh, and they couldn't yes. do it. Yes, they. It's like they're they're handed they were handed uh, uh, chicken poo, and they couldn't make chicken salad out of it. But well, they couldn't Suzuki, even make chicken poo out of it, could they? They couldn't even make <laughs> fertilizer out of it. Remarkably, I mean, you know, if you've got chicken poo, then you know what is chicken poo good for? Well, you know, use it as fertilizer. Uh, they, they they didn't. They tried to make chicken salad out of it. In fact, they 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 tried to make cockle van out of it, and and that was the problem. <laughs> they didn't realize the bit, you know, what the bits of it, Nick, that was going to be any good, and and. They just went into a spiral, and, and the whole valve thing I think was indicative of that. I'll tell you what, though, I've never eaten Yamaha catering, that's for sure. No, not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it's, it's been a long time coming. The, 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 there's been problems there from the moment they decided that Vinales was the answer to all their, to all their prayers, and Vinales is, is, is mentally um, sketchy. Um, Quateraro is mentally sketchy, as it turns out. Uh, Valentino Rossi is, is is too old, and and Frankie Morbidelli never had the right bike. And then mix that in with the fact that they don't seem to know what direction they're supposed to be going development-wise. Uh, they did make a fundamental engine error. Mm. Hey ho, that that's happens, and they they paid for it on both by losing performance and by having points deducted. Mm. But you, I'd be far more worried about about you know there is no reason to expect anything will improve next year. No, indeed, and and some of their satellite teams are losing. Uh, confidence in in what they're saying, and that's a a very bad thing. Maybe Mobadelli actually was on the on the right bike, <laughs> but, but but in terms of thing, uh, Dex, a final thought from you on Yamaha. The, Yamaha traditionally, when when Honda had all the horsepower, and then Ducati came along and they had more horsepower, and this is even going back thirty years. Yamaha's ethos was always we're not going to be great at everything uh, because that's not possible. Uh, we're not even going to necessarily be great at one thing. We're going to be we're going to be good at everything. Or or even you could argue the one thing they were great at was was if they were down on power, they'd have a, a beautiful chassis that was easy mm. To, mm. to 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 work with. That's Suzuki now. Yes. Yamaha have lost their way. Yamaha have, have got away from the ethos of what made Yamaha's Yamaha's, which was their ability to just to work everywhere. And they that and maybe the, the, as we talked about, the, how, how far we are now pushing performance, and particularly if they're gauging themselves against Marquez, they are, are now moving into areas that they're just not comfortable with. That's Declan Brennan. Nick Damon is with me as well. I'm John Hangoff, and you're listening to the 2020 review of the Moto GP season here on Radio Short Limited and our network of audio and visual channels. We've covered a lot of ground, but we haven't really talked about any riders other than Mark Marquez, who didn't get past the first race. We'll put that right next on the MotoGP review. I did promise we'll talk about the riders, or at least the bulk of the riders who took part in MotoGP 2020. Uh, 25 riders uh, who took part, of which 23 scored points. Uh, Mika Calio and Lorenzo Savadori, the only two who didn't. Uh, and in fairness to both of them, Dex, I don't think, that, well, certainly Mika only came, uh, uh, came in for uh, the end of the season. And I don't think uh, Lorenzo Savadori had a full year either, did he? No, well, Savadori came in as the inexplicable uh, substitute for... Correct, that's right. For, for Bradley. Bradley Smith. And, and now the, uh, just 
quickly just to, to tie a nice bow and a Priya. A Priya. Uh, they will be shooting out for the seat, the the uh, seat for 2021 during testing, mm. which is uh, not exactly the ideal way, I believe, to uh, pick your rider. I would have thought, and improve a, and improve a bike at the same at time. the same time. That's the yes. that, that is uh, the issue. Uh, just to set the standard, by the way, our champion this year, Johan Mayer. Uh, scored 171 points. So remember that when we go through from Michele Pirro in 23rd through the drivers, we'll have a word uh, about Morsa. Actually, we'll, we'll start that now. There, there is a couple of things I want to talk about on the way through, but let's talk about the guys at the, the bottom part of the the field. Uh, Michele Pirro on four points. Tito Rabat on 10, both Ducati riders. Dex, uh, a, a very short word about those those two guys. Well, Piro, his job is, in simple terms, he's the test rider. He, he's, his stock in trade is the Italian uh, Super Stock Championship. Yeah. Super Stock 1000, yeah. if my memory serves me correctly. And uh, he will come in and, and do a perfectly serviceable job for, uh, and in this case, replacing uh, Francesco Bagnaia. Uh, through injury, so uh, he, it's it's a role he's pl- he's played multiple times, uh, and uh, Mika Calio, uh, test rider, uh, Aristotle test rider for for KTM, uh, he's obviously been in and out of the of MotoGP uh, for for a, a substantial amount of time, but is is doing uh, what is increasingly an inc- very important and and pretty. Uh, 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 it's really it's a it's a role that that is not a bad way to earn a living. It's a good option for riders is to is to to test. If you look at people like Pedroza and Sylvain Gitli, we will get to a bit later, who are who are simply doing this uh, as a full time job. It's the uh, who was Ferrari's lad, uh, Luca Bedore. It's the Luca Bedore role. Yeah, uh, at yeah. Uh, at KTM. Tito Rabat. Uh, Rabat. Uh, now, interesting one with, with, with Rabat. The Hublot sponsorship at Esponsorama comes uh, through his father, who has a very large chain of uh, of jewelers in Spain. And Tito, obviously, uh, is, a, is a junior category world champion. Uh, certainly, you would say, to some extent, had earned, earned enough to get a ride. He's always effectively bought his ride uh, within uh, MotoGP. Uh, but has never really been treated that well. And certainly uh, in the third string Ducati outfit, he was always going to struggle uh, not getting anything remotely like the service that, for example, Zarco got uh, uh, when he joined that squad. Yeah. But So we think we've seen the last of him. I think Ducati are, are keen to keep him in the family and there's talk of a world superbike ride. So we'll have to see. But I think we may may have seen the last of Tito in uh, in, uh, in, in the MotoGP for a while, yes. Bradley Smith in 21st. Nick Dearman, not a best season for the Brit on the Aprilia. Well, it's not bad. It's a season he didn't think he was going to get. It was only Ian O'Neill's uh, positive testing for eating dodgy meat or taking drugs. You choose which one it was. Um, uh, <laughs> and that's how he got a run. He doesn't have the confidence of the Aprilia team as a race rider. And in fairness, you know, his results don't show very much. But then no one riding in Aprilia got much of a result. Thing. He's not as good as Alessio Spergero. That's the only thing you can possibly say. And he got unceremoniously dumped out for Salvador, as we said, for the end of the race. So they aren't showing much confidence in him. But they are, of course, as, as 
Declan alluded to, now having a shootout for the ride after everyone turned it down. Um, but they phoned me up last Tuesday and I said, no, I'm not running for you either, Aprilia. I'm sorry. I, I borrowed one of your cars, one, one of your bikes once and the fashion went flat. So I'm certainly not doing a Grand Prix season. Um, but yeah, so no, I mean, I think it's uh, he's, he's got an extra year. And as, and as Dex points out, he's getting a nice bit of wedge doing the testing. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, a slightly, it seems to me slightly wasted talent for, for Bradley Smith, but it's a professional ride in terms of him earning some money. Uh, Do you know, just one thing before we leave Bradley Smith, just one thing. He's, he has a, he has now, because of he did some Moto E, he has a podium in every single class oh, of uh, Moto GP, including Moto E, which is remarkable. Very good. Good, good, good on him. Uh, Ica Lacuna, KTM, first uh, of the full season KTM rides, yes. 27 points in 20th position. Um, I don't know what you say about Lacuna. Oh. Uh, I'm excited about him. He's very, very young. They, uh, I have a huge, huge admiration for Red Bull's, uh, Red Bull KTM, I should say, and that organization's ability to find talent and to nurture it. It's amazing. They are literally the bizarro. If, if, if you added another two wheels, they wouldn't be able to do that because, uh, mm. as they proved, they're terrible at it. Uh, it's, like, it's like they looked at Helmut Marco's manual and said, yes, we're going to do the exact opposite. So, uh, <laughs> so they they took Lekawona out of a. He was on in 2019. He was on a 2018 KTM MotoGP chassis, uh, if memory serves me correctly. They saw something in him and said, "Yeah, you know what? We're not going to give him uh, another year within our organization at that level. We're going to bring him to the top." And they then did something really interesting: is that they they saw his uh, his deficiencies and the fact that he was pushing very hard and uh, it would have been, I think we only have to go back to it either. I think it's Jerez. Uh, let me see. Is it Jerez or was it Bruno? Uh, he came, he fell off three times uh, in, in, in one weekend and it, they were beginning to lose a bit of patience with him and uh, they put an arm around him and gave him the, the right level of encouragement and, and, and they've shown in the past somebody like Brad Binder, who took three years to get out of Moto Two, uh, that they will 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 stick with a rider. And towards the end of the season, you could see he didn't necessarily get the results, but the performances were absolutely beginning to get significantly better. And he'll be so much better off having had one season under his belt. And I I think we'll see some pretty significant. Uh, uptick in his performance next year just 20 years old of course yes, uh, and the the man from valencia i think putting him with tech two tech three uh, was a good idea uh, nick uh, he uh, he came into the world championship in moto two at 16 and he couldn't have come in any earlier because that's the minimum age uh, for it and he was he was a replacement for Dummy Agata, if you remember, uh, on the, the Calyx in, in 2017. Uh, he is one for the future. Uh, Got to be careful with these youngsters, as Dex mentioned, that you don't ruin their confidence. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 Dex was, I mean, fair to Dex, he's been mentioning him all season. He has. Um, no, no, absolutely. I, to be honest with you, I don't yet see it. Mm. And... Um, not, I, I will reserve judgment. I mean, obviously, he was very unlucky to miss the last three races. First of all, because one of his friends had COVID, and then he got COVID, so it, it, he didn't end the season. And obviously, race every race is important. 
you know, to me, he's the least well-performing of the four Red Bull, Red Bull KTM and the KTM team. So, not sure. My my my, my jury is out. Okay. Let's see if Dex tends to be right. Well, we'll we'll talk about him, I'm sure, in the future because he seems to have a future in MotoGP. Uh, tied on points uh, in 19th position, courtesy of better results, Stefan Bradl, uh, rather at the other end of his uh, career <laughs> with, what, 11 years uh, on the young man we've just been talking about. Uh, seven uh, Grand Prix victories in all categories. Uh, and plus, of course, the Moto2 World Championship a few years ago now, and on the Honda, hardly well uh, fancied on that. Uh, Stefan Bradl, Dex. He had to step up as the test rider. Uh, I think uh, I, I, again, uh, a man settling into the test rider role and and enjoying it, and then told, "Not you're going to have to come and race." And it's something that I've never fully been able to get my head around. because you've seen it in the past where guys who who literally have long term careers testing don't necessarily make the the, the leap uh, and it's a mindset thing he also had the the on layered on top of that was the problem of the of the singular lack of initial performance from anybody not named mark marquez uh, for, uh, on the repsol honda and he became the senior figure that i i'm presuming some of his role was to to get Alex Marquez uh, up to speed. And what we did see is as the bike improved, what was noticeable was, and particularly in Portugal, but you saw a, a touch of it uh, in Valencia as well, is that his pace kind of came back and, and as the, as the bike improved and he was clearly of the, of the factory riders. And, and I include Nakagami in that, because I know he's getting a lot of support from Japan uh, of the, of the three kind of, Focused uh, Honda riders. He was he was the he was number three and only just finished behind uh, Cal Crutchlow ultimately in the end. But his 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 he's not you know worried about this. He's going to go back to his test role and he's going to be happy. And it's not it's it's he really was as a Nick beautifully once described Felipe Massa. He was captain stopgap. It seems a, I mean second generation rider. His dad was Helmut Bradl who raced two fifties. Maybe um, seems a long time ago, and it is nine times nine years ago that he beat Mark Marquez to the Moto GP, uh, the uh, GP2 Moto2. I'll get it right in a moment. Championship, uh, and there was there was high hopes for him at one stage. Nick yeah, Damon. Well, you know yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think I think I mean, you know, Stefan's had a, had a great career, he's making a lot of money, and he's and he has performed by far the best of all the people who start the season as German TV commentators. Well, yes, that is very good. Very good indeed. Let's move on. Cal Crutchlow was mentioned there by Dex. Uh, yeah. And what sort of season for Cal? It, it's it's turned out to be, um, as far as we're aware for the moment at least, his last full season. Uh, he's a character. Uh, only three Grand Prix victories in, in Moto GP. He was the top independent back in 2016, of course. Uh, been with uh, LCR for a little while. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It, 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 I like him as a person. I've interviewed him. He's a nice bloke. He comes over well on the telly. Time to make yeah, that move. But I, I think, John, eventually you can only injure yourself and fall off so many times right. before it just compounds itself and you're never fully fit. You know, and he managed to even fall over some paddock equipment and 
oh yes that's right hurt his ankle this year as well so it's i think it's absolutely um the right move for him to move to test riding um his body just can't take being thrown down the track anymore and you said just three wins it's three more than 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 any other brits had in the last how many years and um He's had, a, he's had a very good career and he's going to carry on earning very good money. So well done, Carl. And I really hope he has a test a test year where he doesn't fall off once and he has a chance to actually start feeling better. And I think he'll actually be very good in that role, Dex, because he has got that, that mind uh, of not just a racer, but he has always been known as somebody with very good feedback and he's well organised in himself and his riding style. That shows as well. Uh, and he he's he's quite good at the uh, at, at looking at performance and being able to feed it back to engineers. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, of course, is that he's now moving into an environment where he's been actively sought to do that. That's a that's good his point. job. That's good his point. job. Now, whereas. He would be have been very vocal. I, 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 I even go back to Argentina last year. I think it was when the there were there were rumblings within LCR particularly that they were uh, they just felt like they were being handed a bike, and they were being handed a bike that was uh, wasn't designed for uh, the those riders that they they weren't uh, really in a position to make many changes or do much of it because it was so, such an alien craft in some respects and you could tell then that that he knew from that stage that uh, he was he was playing second fiddle he was struggling on a bike that he was never going to get the best out of and and i think all of that uh, along with his injuries uh, which were quite significant uh, and and uh, and the the cumulative effect of those means that he now gets to do warm weather testing. He doesn't do that much testing in season. And when he does, it's in favorable conditions. It's, it's, it's less often. And he's going to make a significant contribution to getting uh, Yamaha's top line program right. And they're going to need it. I think it's a huge, huge deal for Yamaha to have him, particularly as we think... get when we get to later on with, with, the, with the lineup at, at the Monster Energy. Well, and I, and I, I think it's a huge opportunity for him as well. And that may, may be because we're getting wild cards back. Uh, we may see him on the grid again, but he's not there to ride races. He's there to develop yeah, I will the bike. Say, Lorenzo was very annoyed by this. And, and well, I think Lorenzo has to look at himself and look himself in the mirror a little bit. And He and, was the previous and, uh, test rider, we should say. Yes, who didn't do a great deal of testing, obviously, as we know why, but I just feel there's probably some of that is on, more on Lorenzo than it is on on, on Yamaha. So. Yeah. Okay, let's move to 17th, and we'll, we'll pick the pace up a little bit through these um, middle teens. Uh, Alicia Spargaro, veteran of Umbrella now. He's been there for quite a long time. I, I, I'm not sure if he was... Looking forward to the all-new package for this year. He comes away in 17th position. Uh, the Spaniards scoring 42 points. Uh, Declan, you take this one. Just, uh, we've we kind of touched on this as well, that, that they are making incremental improvements. There was occasions he ran at the front early on. Uh, not necessarily, Even uh, that bike had that ability towards the end of last year. Uh, uh, and only uh, led briefly at Phillip Island last year at the end of the year. So that they are going to... Yeah, but well, that was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're going to they're they're going to continue to to make uh, as you talked about uh, some progress, but I just don't think they're going to be able to make enough. And uh, but he is 
arguably as good as they've got on that air. Well, he is uh, and with that package right now. And they don't have an absolute top-line rider. And I'm not sure they, they want one or need one. And uh, Nick Damon uh, would like to join in and tell me he's rubbish. No, I'm not. I'm just that I, I have nothing against Alexis Barger. I think Aprilia are, are, despite the massive competition from other teams, the biggest basket case in MotoGP. Uh, well, that's that, 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 in fairness, gentlemen, uh, that is a, a title that could be bestowed on, uh, on more than one. That, that, there was, you know, probably, um, more competition for that than for, uh, for anything else. Uh, let's move, move on to Peckle Bagnaya, uh, a product of the highly competitive CEV championship in Spain. Well, that's 10 years ago now when he, uh, Started out the uh, Italian and uh, came through through there. Uh, Monlau competition, who we know very well from four wheeled racing as well. Uh, Nick Damon, you can take Peko first of all. Peko Bagnaia is now a works Ducati rider. Looking at his results, you have to say why. Mm-hmm. He has one yeah. podium. Yeah, he has the next best result is a sixth. I, there are mitigating circumstances. He's had problems when he was in good. He was in. He obviously fell off in the lead, but he still fell off. And I think it's indicative of Ducati's inability to manage their riders that a man who should certainly be having another year in the satellite team at least is now in the in the main works team. Uh, you know, he's yes, he's quick. Yes, he's got absolutely. He's got talent coming out of his ears, but he's not a works rider. I don't think. And I think you know, it, it, the problem is you get this hype about people. And obviously it helps for Ducati's Italian. And sometimes their actual performances, yes, they show flashes of brilliance. Wow, a brilliant lap. Oh, look at that. He's leading in those. have had some bad luck. But that was that. he has not put together anything other than a very, very disappointing season. Only second year in the, uh, in the top class uh, with Premac uh, Dex. And his prep for this year was rather blighted by the injury at the back end of last year in the final Round, but in, in some ways that was slightly mitigated by the fact that we didn't start the the season uh, till so late. Uh, is Nick right? Is he is he being pushed too far too soon? I think yeah, and, and the reason I say that is because uh, uh, he has the talent, and in in spots he showed it this year. Uh, he had a a retirement in Jerez number two when he was running second and, and the bike was the bike let him let him down and he crashed out of the lead uh, as well uh, uh, later on uh, that was in was that in Italy was that, that, that but but anyway but the point being he's he needs another year of Primac I think if not yeah. if not uh, out of the spotlight as a number two yeah. maybe uh, I think him as the Italian at Ducati could absolutely destroy him because yeah, yeah. they are, they're just, they're not good. They're, well, we, they're, talk, they're the we, red... talk, we talk about this in our um, World Superbike uh, uh, review about the pressure that is on Ducati um, as a brand, much the same as, you know, in the, the sports papers uh, go after Ferrari because they have to write about them. Uh, in in Formula One as the Italian team and an Italian in the Italian team, I, I don't disagree uh, with with either of you. There, you're listening to the MotoGP review on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. It's Declan Brennan uh, along with Nick Damon and me, John Hindhoff. Before we talk about the 15th place rider, rider Valentino Rossi, he was involved in, in one of the most scary uh, weekends uh, of MotoGP action at 
actually a, a couple of of of, of uh, incidents happened at the two races that we had at the Red Bull ring. Talk about the first one first, where Rossi was was involved, or at least, thank goodness, only almost involved. Nick Damon. Yeah, there was. It, it, you know, it's a very good point actually. One of the interesting things about the, the I'll start with the end before the start. <laughs> Following the accident, um, they cut to Rossi when he was sitting in his garage afterwards, and he kind of rather reflected when he saw it. And it's the first time I've ever thought he looked old. Never thought he looked old until I saw his reaction to. Yeah. Wow, that was close. And oddly, I know it's not Rossi. It didn't happen at that point. You thought, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. He just that said, that's it. Thanks, boys. I had yeah. a good run. Now explain um, well, what happened. Well, what happened was, uh, as, as you know, it was a very long, a long straight uh, in Red Bull Ring, going up from the first turn to uh, well, sometimes get kind of turn three, and sometimes turn yeah. two, depending on the nomenclature, which is a right-hander, which always causes lots of incidents in, in either two wheels or four wheels actually on that tight right-hander. Um, there's a kind of a kink beforehand, and unfortunately, there was a misjudgment between Johan Zarco and Frankie Morbidelli, and Zarco kind of was was a judge more to blame. Come, it came across. It's nearly 200 mile an hour there, by the way. It is no, quick because you it come is, down yeah, with two, yeah. It's yeah. 200 mile an hour. And full commitment. And, yeah, full commitment, yes. they came together. They both, the bikes, were, they separated from their bikes. The bikes were carrying on at unabated speed. They fired up the hill, probably doing at least 150 or 160 when they actually crossed that, uh, that right-hander. Uh, so you got a 175-kilogram missile. And somehow... The, the bike went in between uh, Maverick Vinales and um, uh, Valentino Rossi. And you could just see uh, the, 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 the shot. It, it, you see, that, the, the, that, you know, that really was a, a miracle of good luck. But, you know, because either one of those machines could have hurt something. And if either of those had hit anybody, anything soft and fleshy, that had been it for the person, unfortunately. But luckily, it didn't happen. Um, and the track had to put in hastily some extra... Um, I think safety barrier and um, air fence as well to, to try and prevent that happening again. So they've sort of actually block off the route of a bike out of control from that kink to the corner. But which was, which was very, in very place scary. by sorry, uh, Nick. Which was in place by the time the race there, the next week, uh, Dex. Uh, so you know, fair play. They reacted. You know, motor racing is dangerous, etc., etc., etc. But you have to mitigate uh, what you've seen and. There had already been riders talking and drivers actually talking about that area of the track. There's, there's been manoeuvres. And in fact, the old circuit um, was about to be reinstated, I believe, last year. And uh, it was one of the reasons that so many events were not available. Dates were not available to organise towards the back end of last year. The old circuit, which goes straight on pretty much at turn one and round the back of the hill, and then rejoins at what is turn three. And uh, that hasn't happened, but that ground is now uh, is, is owned again by the track. The planning permission has been granted, from what I've heard, and they are looking for the ability to, to make that longer circuit. Interesting, talking about going straight on at turn one, that's exactly what happened the following week in the most extraordinary piece of... Uh, I don't know what you call it, heads up riding, confidence, but getting off a motorcycle at speed is just counterintuitive. 99.9% of every motorcycle rider in the world, including me and Nick, would have stayed on that bike and fought to get it round the corner. It's Okay, so, yes, so uh, Austria 2, so uh, following week, uh, into into the same corner. In fact, no, it was at the turn one, I yeah, beg your pardon. Yeah. Uh, and at absolutely full tilt, Maverick Pinales had a failure 
which he immediately recognized that uh, he was not going to be able to stop and had to fling himself almost in cartoon fashion off the bike. And we are we are entirely and, and these are the things that we as fans and I think uh, spectators and writers and everybody almost overlooks because it's so it's so t- taken for granted. The airbag technology now is incredible. And he walked away with barely a scratch, mm. having thrown himself off a motorbike at full tilt. Uh, I think they said it was 150-something miles an hour when he got off the bike. He had been doing over 180 when he realised he had no brakes. He'd banged it down a couple of gears, Nick, and slowed it down a wee bit, but very quick. I mean, how quick is your mind going at that point? You and I would literally just be going, oh, no. And trying to get round the corner, and we would have ended. We was still falling, and it would, or you would have leaned it over, still on it, and yeah, hit, exactly. the, hit the hit the gravel, and then anything could have happened. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, you and I ride motorbikes on the road with things coming the other way, and and car drivers and truck drivers trying to kill us. Um, at least there's nothing normally coming the other way on a motorbike uh, when you're racing uh, on the track. But the the presence of mind and the quickness of thought and the confidence of Maverick Vinales to say, ah, I need to get off this bike here. I, I oh, just don't know how they think like that. No, I don't. It obviously completely the right thing to do, so congratulations for doing it, but I don't know how I could ever have done it. Well, just, so those two incidents were, were absolutely remarkable, but in some respects, and to pick up from what Nick said about Rossi, because I, I totally agree, he looked like, it's the first time I've ever seen on a motorcycle rider, or maybe in a long time, somebody who looked scared, looked in fear and that was it was he was pale and it was he did look really it looked like he'd aged in seconds and yet he went out on the restart and finished fifth and that is to me is beyond mind-blowing i cannot fathom how he did that right well he finished fifth in that race just just put his season in context and it was a season that was blighted by mechanical issues as we've documented with yamaha been with Yamaha, by the way, since 2012, uh, after a couple of seasons with Ducati, and then he'd been with Yamaha for a million years uh, before that. It was blighted with having to miss uh, um, races or a race because of a COVID-positive test. He had some more injury this year. Um, his 66 points and 15th position in MotoGP this year was his lowest haul of points and lowest finishing position since he joined... Uh, World Championship Racing in 1996 on a 1-2-5 Aprilia uh, when he got 111 points uh, and two podiums and finished ninth. He only got one podium this year. So Nick Damon, by far and away, the least successful year for still, in my mind, the brilliant, the wonderful, the box office, Valentino Rossi. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a season of two halves. It wasn't going that badly the first six, seven races, and he had some unreliability. He fell off whilst pursuing a couple of podium positions, I think, in, in both um, the second Italian race and in Catalonia. Then he had two races off for COVID, and, you know, just didn't. I think he has a, at least medium COVID, not long COVID. He doesn't, didn't seem back on, on, on style at all. I mean, Valentino Rossi, he's moving out from the works team to the Petronas team. He's going to be with um, his, uh, his, protege Frankie Morbidelli and you know he's positioning himself for life after actually riding the bike with his various um, teams both in the junior categories and obviously the, the much vaunted step up to MotoGP in a couple of years time so people say oh well, we shouldn't be in there look if someone's going to uh, if someone's going to pay me to to run the race around 
he's 41. He hasn't got to prove anything to anybody, no. you know. And yeah, I mean, you said, oh, it's, it's awful seeing a shadow of his former self. Is it no, really I a shadow of your seventh or eighth? It's not really. It's no. just you, you know you, you, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think. I, I don't think. I think in a different season, in a full season, in a season that wasn't COVID affected, then we would have seen a better Valley this year. And I think Dex that he's he's preparing himself now at his own pace, literally as well as metaphorically, for what's to come. And you and I both think that what's to come could bring him even more success, and will more importantly for the sport, will keep his name involved in it because there still really isn't a replacement for the character that is Valentino Rossi. Not in any way is there a replacement, and that's that's a, we'll get to that in a moment. I would say he doesn't have any children. His children are his academy, and him racing with, he's kind of said this, him racing with Franco Morbidelli, I think is going to inject life into him, and I think amazingly, uh, I don't, don't never, never thought I'd ever hear myself say this. I think he fully grasps that he's going to be the second banana in that team, and I think he's happy to be because he's. If it was anyone else outside of a VR forty six graduate, I think that would be a problem. I don't think it's any problem that he has. He's now going to sit effectively, you know, have his phased retirement supporting his his protege who's more likely than anybody to win the world championship uh, out of, out of his, out of his group of riders. And I think he's going to love that. And somebody said it, said it recently on another podcast. And I think it's a brilliant, it's absolutely brilliant as well. It's the time in his life now where they're taking all the responsibility of, of bike development off him. They don't need to worry about that. That's all Vinales and, and Quartararo. He can, in some respects, just get on with riding now uh, with with less pressure. Yeah. And And I, 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 and that team likely to go to Suzuki as well by 2022 is what we're we're hearing, uh, and I think that's an interesting and that that's that's being planned in advance, and and that that is the Rossi effect. I think he's planning for the future. Well, ultimately, uh, I, I my thought is my belief is that. Uh, there will be obviously he's going to end up with a satellite team. Uh, obviously, the uh, that right now uh, is is in process with the Sponsorama team becoming a VR forty six branded team, and yeah, he's going to eventually be be the the uh, most high profile team owner slash uh, uh, team manager in the uh, in the paddock, yeah. and uh, and. And MotoGP will be delighted to have him there because uh, yeah, and, and there is no, be, there's nobody to replace him. And will be the better for it. I absolutely agree. Let's move to 14th position. Valley, 66 uh, uh, points, 74 points for last year's Moto2 champion, Alex Marquez, who had a difficult uh, start to his Honda career because barely was he through the door, Nick Dear, but then he was told he wasn't required at the end of the year. Yeah, he got to do his pre-season testing, uh, Jerez and uh, Malaysia, and then was immediately demoted for next year to the B team and promoted uh, eventually, it took a while to get through, was uh, Paul Espargaro uh, to partner his brother. Um, I think he, it seemed to me that Alex was... I think he was out of his depth. I think I don't think he adapted well. I think, yes, it wasn't the easiest bike to ride. His qualifying was never good. No. But he did have a purple patch. He had two second places um, um, in the wet in France, which is a great ride. And then again, the following week in Aragon. Then then it all disappeared again. It's hard to see. I think the biggest problem is the bike has got such a narrow window. His first year on it, he didn't have 
yeah, I'm sure the support of his brother, which would have massively helped, because his brother probably actually would have talked to him and shared some of his secrets. Um, so I think he was floundering in a team that was rudderless. Um, so I think you kind of give him a pass on this one. I don't think it was an impressive, particularly impressive rookie season, but I think given all the weirdness around him, let's see what he does this year. Um, yeah, I... I uh... I thought that race in France, Dex, was outstanding. I thought the conditions and the way that he looked after the tyres on a drying track was perfectly suited to what is a very cultured riding style. He doesn't get off the bike as much. and he, Well, nobody gets off the bike as much as his brother, but he, he in some ways, looks like a bit of a throwback uh, because he, he doesn't hang off the bike as some of his contemporaries. And I think that suited the conditions. It suited the way he had to look after tyres. Um, a big confidence boost for him there in Aragon. Uh, but, and, you know, it was a learning year. And I think he probably would have done better if he'd had his brother by his side. He's had to plough his own furrow this year. And in, and in some way, you know, that will have uh, will have affected him. And I, I thought, actually, do you know what? I thought he came out of the year not too bad, if I'm honest. When you actually looked at his riding and what he did, particularly in the races, qualifying, as Nick said, was a problem. Well, I think he was always going to struggle. And then after what happened to his teammate, to lose his teammate and his team leader, who's also his brother, I don't think it was ever going to help him. No. Uh, and and then for it to be up to him to some extent uh, to, to, you know, push the, the development of the bike in a certain direction. And that happened slowly. And it was definitely a group effort across uh, LCR and, and, uh, and HRC. And it did begin to to uh to bear fruit as he said and the beauty for him is he now has a bit of ironically leaving uh hrc and going to lcr actually is oddly is going to be almost a uh, a continuation because he'll have the same bike he's going to basically he's going to have the same bike he he's got all of this data now and i think that's going to really help him i think he has a he has a real chance to hit the ground running next year uh because he'll be his comfort level will be so much higher, so much higher on that bike, and uh, and uh, and hats off to him. That could have gone a very very bad way. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Absolutely agreed. Thirteenth position, seventy seven points. Johan Zarko, Dex, you have a crack at this one. Got a third place uh, on the Ducati this year for Zarko. Likable character, had a, a bit. A bit of a bitty year last year, if you remember, jumping on and off different uh, bikes. Uh, and, uh, you know, he would have been hoping, Dex, for a, a more settled year this year. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely the key. And and it's very simple with Zarako is I think he's he's blindingly fast. He had he had Paul at Bruno. Uh, he is super, super fast. Uh, he has... The chance now with uh, a lot more factory support with the Primac ride next year, but I am I'm very high on Zarco. Always have been. I think uh, he needs to little settle down a little bit uh, in terms of his head, but he's, there's no doubting his speed. And uh, I'm uh, probably the qualifying was better, and uh, he ran high oftentimes and, and then faded. But uh, I think 
we're going to see some fireworks from him next year. And I would not rule out a his first Grand Prix victory somewhere next year on a on a Primax Ducati. Yeah, he's suffering from the French riders' disease as well. Somehow they seem to get very close and then uh, fade away, although Quattararo has broken through that glass ceiling for them this year. 77 points there, 78 points for Danny Petrucci. Uh, in 12th position of the Ducati rider. Uh, very tight, by the way, in, in this area from sort of 11th on down to about 15th with just a handful of points between them. Uh, Nick Dearman, Danny Petrucci. Um, One win, of course, this year. Well, it's fantastic. Should we read his results for the season? Yeah. Um, nine, retired. 12th, 7th, 11th, 16th, 10th, 8th, 1st! 15th, 10th, 10th, 15th, 16th. <laughs> Has it actually got a, a big um, exclamation yeah, mark behind big, it? One of those big kind of emoji explosions. Yeah, excellent. Um, it's, it's not Danny, a one, it's a middle finger. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> well, very true. I mean, I think, you know, that. I don't think you need to say anything else. He just didn't really seem to put together a, a, a decent performance in the dry. Um, who knows why? Was it the bike? Was it the rear tyre, which certainly his teammate uh, Vizioso didn't like either on the Ducati? Was it just that the toxic uh, environment got to him more? Um, just a year where he's managed to secure a ride for next year, which is probably the most he could do. And as we said earlier, it's because he got released early. He did get a win, and the wins column is the thing that gets marked, looked at more than your overall position in a season you didn't win. So, I don't know. I think it's just a, he's just a victim of Ducati. Let's see what he can do. He's free from that environment. I would oh say. yeah, I, I just seeing him on a on a ride where they're going to put their arms around him. Is uh, is genuinely quite. I, I'm quite excited about about. He's he suffers from being big though. I think that's always going to. It's just you, you made it in himself. He, he's a he's a stocky lad. And, yes, and and that yes. that I I I, I should have. Uh, sorry, Nick. I just get a bit of noise down the line from you. That um, I I I, sh- I should have checked. Most of the riders are sixty to sixty-seven kilos, and um, I, I don't know what he. Let me have a quick look at. Uh, Danny Petrucci, uh, and and say what well, he's eighty kilograms. Yeah, so the, I mean he's he's a meter eighty one, so that's just shy of six feet, and he's you know he's fifteen kilograms heavier than some riders, than some of the other riders, and and because the 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 rider is such a big part of the bike's weight, uh, the the bike will be a hundred and. What, 160, 170 kilos, Nick, something like yeah, that? Yeah, that, yeah. So, so 15 kilos on that, you're getting them for 10%. And trust me, I know even driving a GT car, losing 15 kilos made a huge difference to me in a car. On a motorbike, being 15 kilos lighter is is, is massive. Uh, let's, let's move to Brad Binder, just outside the top 10 at 11. Another rider... Dex uh, with one win, eight, seven points, sorry, nine points ahead of Danny Petrucci. KTM for the South African, of course, this year. He, uh, I, I wrote in my notes, and you might laugh when I say this, I see Kevin Schwantz in him. Ooh. I really do. I do. I think that he's, he's got that thing, uh, you know, it's an old cliche, but you'd rather have a guy like him who you can take the edges off. Uh, than have a, a smooth guy who's not very quick and try and make him fast. Brad Binder is ridiculously quick when, when on on his day, and his day came. Nobody expected him to come in Bruno, and he was just totally justified in in a you know. There's no there's a, no mitigating circumstances. That was a deserved, brilliant ride uh, at Bruno, and yes, he he kind of didn't quite match it. 
the same way. He doesn't have uh, necessarily somebody like Oliveira's temperament or his uh, maybe his median ability. But it, what they need to do now at, at KTM, uh, Pip Barr's job right now is to work out how to, like they did in Moto2, how to get him to where he can be almost that quick every week because he is on his day is absolutely staggeringly fast. Uh, we'll move into the top 10 with uh, Taki, Takaki Nakagami for the uh, LCR uh, Honda uh, team, the LCR Honda Adimitsu team. Back in the last season, he was having quite extensive shoulder surgery. You know all about that, uh, Nick mm. Damon. His main uh, aim during the off-season was to get fit again. He took a pull, uh, but no podia. He came uh, off a couple of times, went in very good position, scored 116 points, so quite a big jump there to get into the top 10. And his claim to fame during the season, and this was really interesting, he was given access to and poured over Mark Marquez's data for the Honda. Most people who did that basically told the person who brought it to take it away and never let them look at it again because they couldn't understand it or make it work. But Nakagami somehow took something out of it. Not saying that he rides the same as as Mark Marquez, because I don't think anybody does, but he made it work for him in the middle part of the season. Yeah, I think well, no, I think Nakagami really he came into the season as the token Japanese that they have to have in the uh, in the <laughs> second team, and and oh gosh, there he is trundling. And I would say that outside of perhaps Mir and Morbidelli, I think he's had the most impressive season of any rider compared to where their expectations were and what you thought they'd do. He was the only rider to finish all the first ten races. He then outscored himself by putting himself on pole and had brain fade and fell off yes. uh, in the 11th and then got two more results. Yes, his best result all season was a fourth, but his worst result was a 10th and he scored in all bar two of the races and one of the races he got a pole. He absolutely did what the perfect season, I think, for a satellite bike rider. And if he can continue pushing forward, you think, well, yeah, I don't think he's going to be, going to be world champion. He's certainly going to annoy people and get the, the few podiums next year. But, you know, I think that was a really, I think he put together a really good season. Uh, He's been uh, with that team, Dex, for, um, well, that was his uh, third season um, with with that team. He's he's been taking notice of in Japan. Obviously, it's very important for them to have a Japanese rider on on the Honda. Long term, he, he could be, he could this year have ridden himself into real contention if, as we said earlier in the show, Marquez, for example, does not, Mark Marquez, does not come back to full fitness. There's, there's more than a crack of a door open there for him. Uh, not maybe next year, but certainly looking further down the line. Of course there is. And of course there is. That's ex- and Nick has nailed it. I don't think anybody expected him to be as consistent or, uh, and then to, gradually get faster and faster and to be honest it, it kind of goes under the radar a bit but but red bull 2 uh where mere dominated and then di- as we discussed and then didn't have a tire uh after the restart nakagami was second yeah and comfortably solidly second in that race in the first part of that race uh and again same thing happened to him so he has 
he has shown more talent. I, I, I sadly, I definitely viewed him through Moto Two and the early part of Moto, uh, Moto GP as the uh, as the, uh, the the mandatory contractually obliged Japanese rider to keep the uh, the interest going at home. But he has done so much more than that, and very, very impressive. And the the, the one black mark against him though is his absolute inability to cope with the pressure correct of expectation at Aragon when he dominated the entire uh, uh, opening uh, all sessions and qualifying and then binned it uh, basically uh, while leading uh, just and that he that hopefully he'll learn from that that's one of those things where he the, the line is now in the sand you think either he's going to learn from that or he's going to carry that around with him for a while and well, we'll he see. can't let that define him he cannot let falling off in the lead define him he absolutely can't, and he's got to he's got to throw that out of his mind. Uh, Dex, take, let's talk about Miguel Oliveira in ninth position, 125 points, so nine points different. Uh, another KTM rider, another rider who at the back end of last season had uh, a nasty injury. Philip Island, wasn't it, where he fell off? Yeah, he was, bl- he was blown off by the wind, yeah. Philip Island, which uh, is nuts. Missed the last, I think, three races and all the pre-season testing uh, at the end of 2019 because pre-season st- testing starts the, the previous year. He stayed with KTM and Tech 3, Tech 2 for uh, 2020. Only second season in the big class. He nets ninth place in in the championship people who know talk very highly of this lad couple of wins for the season um there were these only two podiums took a pole position as well uh, you know that's it's not a bad way to, to build a career the way he's going about it he is uh i'm a huge huge fan of his he's 24 he has uh he and Morbidelli, I, I, I think, have something very similar about them is that, they, that they've earned everything. Nothing has been handed to them. They've had to earn everything they've got. Uh, they don't come from, from great means. He's He's got an unbelievable temperament. And uh, think about his first win. His first win came where he didn't try anything stupid and let Aspargaro and Miller basically uh, outbreak each other into the into the last yes. corner uh, in Austria and took the win. And what I liked about his follow-up win at the end of the year in Portugal, and naturally it was his home track, which granted he had he, he would have some additional experience of, and he had the, the hat-trick, he had pulled the win on the fastest lap. But in that, that race there at the end, if you're the rest of the paddock, you need to look at that and think, my goodness, he, Lorenzo, the crap out of that race he did he literally was never ever even touched from the from the green light and just banged in fast lap after fast lap and as we got three quarters of the way through the race people were saying uh oh uh, like the tar is going to drop off no it never did it was unbelievable how that was in one of the most impressive runs of the whole season by anybody uh we'll move on to eighth position and uh, the man who won the championship this year for France for the first time in years. And, you know, of course he didn't. He was only in eighth position. 127 uh, points for the Monster Energy Yamaha um, rider with, uh, well, you know, a season that started in the best possible way. He had, ends up with four poles, three first positions, uh, 127 points. But finish eight, Fabio Quattararo, who... Uh, 
you know, I mean, a, a season of two halves, maybe three no, thirds, I... maybe. Um, I, I, I looked at him and and I accept that he was beaten up at Le Mans, but at Le Mans. He looked like he was riding in the wet, like I ride in the wet, on a 320-kilo touring bike because he just was riding as if he was petrified he was going to lose the front end at every single corner. And he did not look happy at all, Nick. And and he's at various stages during the year, his head just went. Yeah, I mean, let's remember, he came into the season as the coming man, the man who was going to take it to Marquez, who'd done everything but win a, but win a race. You know, he'd been by far the strongest uh, competitive mark at the back end of 19. He came in. Mark... Rookie of the year last year and fifth in the championship with 192 points, by the way. So, by the way, that points haul last season, all right, there, was, there were more races, but that was more than our champion had this year by, by 20 points. There's more right, yeah. Uh, but the point is, so, so after two races, won both the races. Marquez is obviously out for a long time, therefore he's world champion, as you rightly say. Mm. Uh, and then something went, probably his head, combination, I think, of some Yamaha issues, the inability to, um, in any way, I think, control his, his emotions. And he had a, a, a bit of a major dip. Managed to win another race from pole, which mm-hmm. I think was the second of the Masana races. I'm just, just think so and then disappeared again into a sea of of averageness falling off some terrible races certainly the two the two valencia races he was he was awful then worse and disappeared backwards into in portmouth and it's you know it is a primary example of a of, of heads gone um the previous best example johan zarka i've no idea if anything didn't both being french i'm sure it's not i just think it's both it's just who they were but quateraro has effectively thrown this championship he should have won it in only and his second it's season in the category all of in his head lack of maturity lack of ability to see things through lack of ability to just sometimes settle for for a reasonable score very disappointing I mean, and you sit there going we what what has gone wrong how can someone who's done had none of these problems on the way up suddenly get to the, to the pinnacle and fall off so hard in fairness, Dex, he could have been second in the championship with, you know, another race victory near enough. Um, you know, another 25 points and he'd been second in the championship. That's how tight it was uh, at the end. He's on 132 point, uh, 127 points, then two riders above 132, 135, 135, 139, 158. So that, that's how tight it was. But I don't think that tells the story. You look at the points difference and think, hey, wasn't that that far off, really, you know, the couple of races in the season, um, you know, and we know why there were fewer races this year. But if ever there was a rider for whom this end of the season seemingly couldn't come quick enough, it was Quateraro, because he absolutely needs, to me, he needs a complete reset. He needs to go away and either completely forget about um, what he does for a living or totally reassess what he's going to do next year, or maybe a bit of both. I firmly believe that you shouldn't look at, at the raw numbers uh, most of the time. <laughs> but we're going until to. you until you look at these raw numbers because they're amazing. So he gets seventy five points for three wins mm. uh, the first two races of the year in Catalonia. Uh, between uh, the, the first two wins and and the, uh, and, and the, uh, his last win of the season, his third win of the season, he scored thirty three points. Of of the four Yamaha riders, that was the least. But the one that blows my mind, after Catalonia, uh, he led the championship on 108 points. Yeah. He got nine more points. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Mayor after Catalonia got 71 more points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His teammate, Morbidelli, got 81 more points after Catalonia. Yeah, yeah. That is absolutely... And there are mitigating circumstances. We all know that. He had he was clearly hurt in France more than he let on. And the bike absolutely had his struggles. But none of it, none of it can fully, fully explain away That's how GP, awful he looked. Yes. He, if he can't cope with the pressure, he didn't have any pressure last year. Last year. That was a freebie last the, year. Yeah, last year at the start of the season, he was told, in 2019, he was told by Wilco Zielenberg, you need to get between 50 and 100 points. You're going to be Rookie of the Year. Uh, uh, Franco Morbidelli was told at the start of the season, you need between 120 and 150 points. You're going to be Independent Rider of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the whole thing flipped halfway through the season. They were they they saw what they had with him, and then they were lobbying for, for him to make sure he had this year, he had his uh, factory bike, and et cetera, et cetera. And the whole thing flipped. And he, he was the... Cock of the North. He was everybody loved him. He starts the season in Jerez. He wins the first two races. It's all it, suddenly he's the favourite. Suddenly the pressure's on, and he will. And we talked about this before the season started, or, or basically, sorry, after that race, he said it's going to be absolutely an entirely different world for him when he walks into the paddock with no Mar Marquez, and they expect him to win every week. And he absolutely collapsed like a lawn chair. Mm. It was incredible. And he's very young and he's fragile and so is his teammate. And I think they're in a rotten position going forward. <laughs> I think Monster Energy Yamaha. But that's uh, it's it was but the raw numbers make extraordinarily terrible rating for Fabio Quartararo. Uh Jack Miller next, the Aussie, the man from Townsville, hundred and thirty two points. Uh, a remarkable story, of course, in that he missed out Moto two. Uh, when he came directly from Moto3 to MotoGP in 2015. Got his first win for Honda in 2016. Uh, no wins this year, but four podium, two seconds and a third, seventh position, 132 points. Um, always entertaining, Declan Brennan, the jack attack, as he's known. And, I mean... He's never right. won a race in the dry. He, no, he's, he's never won a race. He, yes, he won at in Holland, didn't he? Assen, at yeah, Assen, on, which, 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 VDS bike, which, yes. which often throws up weird results. Uh, in, in terms, in terms of Ducati, he's the third best Ducati in in points. But my goodness me, more times than not, he was the best Ducati in the race. Second best Ducati in points, but yes, and and consistently. Oh, yeah, second. Sorry, uh, Jack had a couple of things like he he uh, uh, he had a quarter arrows tear off. Uh, gets stuck in his exhaust. You know, we had he had uh, he had uh, other mechanical failures during the year, uh, and he he was only number two Ducati by by literally by three points. So I think it's it's uh, absolutely uh, right that he he moves up. I he, he's he's an interesting character. He's 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 despite it, uh, uh, the Aussie. Like the idea of the, of the hilarious, funny, uh, you know, gregarious Aussie. He's really, really serious, mm. and I think his the key for him to move this forward is to is to somehow get Ducati to rally around him. And and I'm not sure that's possible, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, that that is a difficulty for anybody riding uh, for Ducati. Let's move to sixth position in the MotoGP World standings for 2020. Maverick Vinales. 
named after a fictional character, but he is he is real. I promise, I promise you. And uh, he finishes the season, Nick, uh, with uh, a win, two seconds, 132 points, and sixth spot in the championship. Second best Yamaha for the Spaniard, 132 points, same points as Jack Miller, but a slightly better finishing record puts him uh, further up the standings. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hardly a super mental team, is it? Maverick Vinales and Fabio Quattararo for next year, because Vinales is another one who's, whose head is the most questionable thing about it. He's not massive. In fairness, he's got two things. His head's not great, and he's not very good at overtaking, or, or perhaps he doesn't have the because his head doesn't let him overtake, so he gets stuck in traffic. He doesn't carve his way through. He can lead. Um, you know, he can get the front if he has a really great day. And, and, and his good day is fantastic. You know, he's, 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 his good days are so rare and far too rare for someone in the works, in a works team. I'm not sure really why um, Yamaha was sticking with him. I don't know whether it's a lack of options is the reason. But you know, he doesn't show anything and you sit there and you see him start and he's like fourth and you think, well, he's not going to come through. He might drop to fifth. He might make third. You never have that excitement about me. He's going to put a stirring drive through the field, drive, sorry, ride through the field. And I just, I just think he's a nothing and he's a kind of a whingy nothing. You know, let's be honest. With you, the most remarkable thing he did this year was get off his bike. What else did he do of any balance, of any value to anybody? Why is it, you know, people say, oh, why has Rossi got the, uh, why did Rossi have the works, works rival? Because he was giving value to people who enjoyed him being there, enjoyed seeing him, had a fan base. Vinales, what's the point of him? What I, is the point of Vinales? I, I rather get annoyed about Vinales. He, 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 he keeps showing flashes of what I think he could be, Dex. And he can't keep it up for more than a couple of laps. He'll do kind of all right in a session. He'll put in a couple of decent sectors or he'll put in a fast lap. And you'll think, oh, hang on, hang on. We've got, ah, this is the Vinales we've been waiting for. And and then he disappears again. And it's exactly the same in the race. You, you know, sometimes he'll start really well, but then he'll fade in the middle. Or sometimes he'll not be very good at the start and he'll lose positions. And then all of a sudden you'll see him in, in third. And at the end, he, he's... You know, he's got a bit of tyre left and he's coming through. I just want him to be able... It's like somebody who can't string one lap together. He can't string a race together. He just doesn't seem to be able to keep it going. And I don't know why that is, because he's clearly got some talent. He's really mentally brittle. He's very talented. Very, very talented. He's so talented that he, he has the ability to do the Lorenzo style win from the front and put in qualifying lap after qualifying lap. And it's like that, that he's done it. I've seen him do it. Mm. Uh, but he needs everything to be perfect. And it almost feels like he, he embraces excuses to not win. <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to forget the race, but he was on pole this year and they had to change the belly pan on the bike and it put him right off. And I think he finished 12th or like the, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody, one of our eager listeners is going to tell me exactly where that happened. But it was a case of a small inconvenience became this thing that for him to rely on to, to, to allow him to fail. And he, I'm not sure he'll ever win a world championship. He has eight, only eight Grand Prix wins. Mm. Only eight. Uh, and that's, that's unacceptable for somebody, somebody with his talent. And none in the top class. No, no. He's, uh, no, you know, he's no, eight MotoGP wins. Of course, he's, he, is, he is several in the top class. He won on the Suzuki, don't forget. And, uh, 
but uh but he is he, i'm i would be super doubtful he will ever win a world championship uh in moto gp and, yeah. and if you're nailing your yeah it's all right we all do it no, no, and right. if you're nailing your if you're nailing your colors your moto gp colors uh at monster energy yamaha to him and fabio Cotteraro, uh of uh, particularly next year on best of luck to you uh nick Dearman uh is fairly certain about one thing about uh he'll Mark never Griffin. win he'll, he'll never, never win, win a world, world championship. championship okay i'd be surprised if he's in the top three he tied on points, as I say, with Jack Miller. Three points further ahead, the best of the KTMs was Paul Espargaro, uh, who has never won a MotoGP uh, uh, race, although he's got uh, 10 races, ten race victories in Moto2 uh, and five uh, in the old 125 class when he won for uh, Derby, the Derby uh, concern. Uh, have a go at Paul on 135 points, tied on points with Andrea Davizioso. Uh, Nick, sorry. Uh, well, I think Paul is a, you know, interestingly, two of his teammates or two of his uh, uh, bike mates won races. Paul didn't win a race, but still ended up being the guy with the highest number of points. Um, you know, he's got five podiums, all third places, a couple of poles, a fastest lap and, and some fourths to back it up. Yeah, great finish this season, four, three, three, four, but never quite had that day where it just came together and he managed to win the race. He just just did kind of failed slightly um, you know, to just finally just get the thing over the line a couple of times, quite unlucky, you know, you know tire well, choice and that sort of thing. Um, but he has obviously ended up in some ways being the big winner of the season. He's ended up getting a works, um, Honda ride, which may of course mean that he'll be uh, the team leader if if um, Marquez doesn't come back. But I think I think oh, Spargo has done a great job for KTM, and they're going to really really yeah. miss him. I, I was going to say Dex, and, and you, I'm sure you'll want to add to this. But you know, fifth position for KTM, if you'd offered them that at the start of the season to have a rider in fifth, uh, would they have been relatively happy with that? Fifth and three wins, and and uh, and if you told them you're going to have, have a fifth place in the championship you're going to have three wins and and your your uh the gamble that you chose for the second uh satellite team ride is going to make significant strides forward they they've been delighted mm-hmm. paul Spargo was knocked off in bruno by by uh johan zarko uh, he could have won in bruno mm-hmm. uh, another ktm did he was winning and going to win in Austria one before the, uh, correct before, before the, uh, the, the red flag. Yeah. Uh, and sadly, I remember, and I remember watching it live. He got off the bike steaming. Mm. He was so upset. And, and it was actually a really bad look for him because it looked like at this stage, we just witnessed something horrific. I don't think he even knew what no, quite had happened because he, he and didn't. he was fuming over, over the red flag. I think afterwards he, he would have wanted that one back. It was over the circumstances of yes. him of him losing a, a nailed on victory. I mean, he was riding yeah. away from the field. It was a super ride, and he's been he's been at times brilliant this year. Uh, and and the perfect example of of probably giving more than what the bike probably had, mm. uh, more than anybody else in the field. Uh, like if you look at every all the other K, yes, the other KTM riders won, but nobody was able to compete week in week out the way he did, and that's going to be huge for. I think Nick has a point as well. If that could be huge for Honda, I I kind of had a wib, wibbly Charlie Brown mouth when they made that announcement, and I'm, the more I I think about it, the more I think that that is a, a, a an absolute steal for them. Top. He's still young enough so as well. So. Yeah. So- 
Top four next. Uh, we've got Declan Brennan and Nick Dearman as we look back at the 2020 MotoGP uh, season uh, with just 15 races this year as against 18 in, in more recent times. Uh, the best Ducati was in fourth place, tied on points with Paul, but better results for Andrea Davizioso for Dovi puts him in fourth position. Nick Dearman, the enigma uh, that is Andrea Davizioso. Well, yeah, I mean, it's in many ways. Is, is it the one that got away? Should he be in world champion? I've yes. been runner up three times in a row yes. to uh, Mark Marquez, but in a team that didn't really want him. And with the major change of the year being a new rear tyre that just he and the bike never got on with. Um, then, of course, became a mental battle. He did, win, he did win one race at the, uh, you know, the home of Ducati's victories, which is was Austria. If um, he'd had the same average number of points in his 14 races as he had last year in his 19 when he scored 269, he'd have won the world championship by, yeah, by a exactly. decent margin. But things conspired against him, his head, his team and his rear tyre. Mm. And when three things don't work for you and you're also so unloved by the people you work with you know the, the motivation drops and uh, you can see the writing on the wall and certainly by the time he retired in Catalonia I think coming to France race the second half he knew he wasn't going to win the world championship at that point what, you know, what do you do um, you know he then started holding out for, for other rides and eventually he's currently rider without portfolio for next year he is sitting there desperately hoping that Marquez can't come back and he can get back into a, a works Honda yeah um, I, I, I think I'll, I'll be honest with you I, I... I'm not sure. I'm not sure even if that is the case. Two firsts last year, three thirds, four fourths, 269 points in second in the championship, as he had been for the previous two years, scoring 245 and 261 from the 18 starts that he made those two previous years. Dex only 135 points here with only two podium, uh, first and a third for Davizioso. How does does he end up fourth? Well, I'm glad you said that because... Uh, he finished second in the championship in a team that really, by the end of last year, didn't really want him. So he starts this year in a team that really is not that, is not that high him, uh, on, on a tyre that he just doesn't get on with, uh, which both would have fed into his head. Uh, so my position here is I'm almost amazed he finished fourth in the championship and it could have been even better. He had the retirement in Catalonia, which wasn't his fault. Basically, what happened, he didn't qualify that well, which clearly that is his fault. But uh, his teammate uh, had a moment uh, through the through the the uh, the right left complex uh, after the start uh, at the start, which meant Zarco in front of him checked up, which took him out. Like uh, it was like a, a, he was the, a, the, a victim there. It was his only retirement of the season. Mm. Uh, he was still in the championship hunt at that stage. It yes, just. He was. It, to, to finish 36 points, it seems nuts to be fourth uh, in a team that didn't want him, on a bike he wasn't getting on with, on a tar he wasn't getting on with, and he still did it. And now he's without a ride. It, to me, it's it's absolutely baffling. And granted, there were days he did not look good. But there were, there were days when, you know, he was, as I said, uh, as I mentioned, I think Jack Miller was probably uh, the best of the, of the Ducati riders. But Dovi just as the pro that he is and the old head that he is willed that to fourth place. It was, uh, it's actually pretty commendable. As soon as I knew he was not going to be there, as much as I wanted Suzuki to win the championship, being a, a big Suzuki fan for many years and having ridden Suzuki's, 
uh, for the early part of my motorcycling uh, adventures, then I, I still wanted Davidzi Yozo to win. I, I just thought him leaving as world champion would have been absolutely extraordinary. The top three then, uh, just another four points further up the championship standings. And by the way, the whole of the top six were either Spanish or Italian, uh, with Jack Miller being the first non. Uh, and uh, in the top ten, I think there was only two non-Europeans. Yes, there were. Uh, with Nakagami and, and Miller being the only two uh, non-Europeans in the, the top 10. Alex Rins for Suzuki. Dex, you can have first go at this. He got the win this year. Uh, he got two seconds and a third. So four podia and 139 points for uh, Alex Rins, who is uh, you know pretty well-liked in, in the paddock. Um, last year, took his first MotoGP victory at... The Americas, didn't he? Sir, I was there, yeah, yes. Yeah, you were sir, there. The Americas. And, and then, then won, won again at Silverstone last in year. In unbelievable circumstances yes. at Silverstone. Yes, yes. that's right. Um, third position this year could have been a bit better. Um, everybody, I think, at the end was probably, other than the Yamaha fans, were rooting for a Suzuki 1-2 uh, for them. Comes away at the end of the end, third. Uh, again, though, I would, I would suggest that before everything started, in that long yellow flag, the big pause... As, as Eve calls it, that if you'd offered Alex Rins third in the championship uh, and four trips to the podium, including a top step, he might have said yes to that, you know. Yeah, but after about five races, uh, I think that completely changed. And to be honest, two things. Uh, his his accident, just robbing him of points uh, yeah. in Jerez 1, uh, was a problem. He wasn't fit for Jerez 2. He still managed 10th. Uh, and then the drop on the bike in Austria and again in uh, in France cost him the world championship. Mm. He he should he will know in his head he should have been world champion. And it's all his own fault. We've said this previously. He's that he has lapses in concentration that just defy logic for somebody with as much talent. And he is in the exact right environment. He's he's perfect for the bike. The bike. He loves this bike. He gets he gets more out of it in qualifying than Mir does right now. Mm. Uh, and and he is only himself to blame for not winning the world championship. And the reason I say that is because if he hadn't made the mental errors, it wouldn't have been the formality in Valencia that it was for Mir. He would have tested Mir more Correct. in the last couple of races of the year. And and uh, and uh, and I, I think he only has him. He has to look himself in the mirror and think, yeah, this was my, this this is the might have been the best shot he'll ever have of winning the world title. Yeah, that that mistake at Le Mans, we know that she came very well because it's how we get into the TV compound when we're, we're at Le Mans and how he didn't skittle about three or four riders at that point. He just arrived way too quick in any conditions. I think even if it had been dry, he wouldn't have got round, round there. Second in the championship, uh, another 19 points uh, on, uh, on Alex Rins in second. A, a, a rider whose name we've mentioned a lot already, Frankie Morbidelli, Franco Morbidelli for Yamaha. And uh, he uh, was on the factory spec M1, of course, this year in 2020. Three wins, two pulls, uh, a second and a third, 158 points and second. The future uh, of VR46, the... Uh, one of the protégés of uh, of uh, Valet, and 
a year that, I suppose, I mean, he's best Yamaha by some margin, Nick, but a year that could have been better. Yes, he had a difficult start with uh, two retirements in the first four races, but, you know, he picked it up and moved on. I think, you know, he was really flamboyant riding, um, getting out there, leading, looking looking the part. You know, the flowing mane obviously helps, you know, the, the close <laughs> relationship with uh, Valentino Rossi as well. And I think, you know, Frankie Morbelli had a really, really good season. I mean, and, and I do genuinely believe there's very few people in this field who can say this. Um yeah, and then he got yeah the three wins, the closest to the championship. Certainly, you know that he was, you know, a couple of results have gone the other way. Certainly, France, for example, and you know, the the Austrian first Austrian race. So, Frankie, you know, we've already talked about how that race ended for him with the collision with Zarco. Um, those extra points, because he fell by thirteen to win the world championship, could have really, really helped him. And I think, you know, obviously, it was a great relationship to be in the Petronas team and he's going to have his uh his, his his mentor and in many ways his boss join him so you know if if some by some miracle the Yamaha get their act together or Petronas can actually work out what to do with the bike next year there's a really really good chance that Frankie can actually put a uh, a championship run together yeah and uh he you know we've talked about him a lot Dex he, his name's come up a lot during the course of this uh, 2020 review of Moto GP, but that's because he's well thought of, he's well backed, he's got good connections, and blow me, he can ride a motorcycle, including the Yamaha, which was not necessarily the nicest bike to ride this year. Well, he uh, bizarrely he benefited from the decision uh, last year uh, that that. Uh, Petronas made when he was the team leader, as we just discussed, and then Petronas made the decision that, as it became obvious, that Quartararo was arguably the bigger talent. Uh, that so he so Quartararo in 2020 was going to get the uh, the the full spec bike, and he was going to get the uh, uh, the 2019 engine and 29 uh, chassis. Uh, 2019 chassis, I beg your pardon. Yes, yeah. and and clearly that was that was the right option. And here's the thing about Morbidelli that that blows me away is that he. Struggled really badly at Mark VDS. Um, well, everybody did on that bike, uh, uh, on, which was basically he was on uh, the 20. That would have been in 2018. That was the 2017 Honda. Uh, he he moves to... Uh, Still rookie of the to, year in Moto2 that year, by the way. No, no, no. no. This is Mark VDS on the, on the Honda in, in MotoGP. His first oh, sorry, year sorry, yes, 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 sorry, title sorry yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, so, but he moves up. He does what's expected of him. And then... Uh, sees uh, his the guy who's come in underneath him take all the plaudits and and affect and start winning races, and he just kept going and did what he did and did it the way he wanted and he's loved in the paddock and he's loved for his temperament and his his uh, his friendliness and nothing bothers him clearly nothing bothers him and and it's paid off for him and his and there's no doubt that he was allowed to get comfortable and and find the pace on the package that he had, which is not the same as Vinales, Rossi and, and Quartararo. And he made it work for him. And it's probably going to ask more questions than it answers for him and Valentino Rossi when they go into next year. But he he got... He he was magnificent. There was there was no doubt by the end of the year that he was going to be every race. You were going to look at him and think, yeah, he's probably going to be, uh, be up there. And that win in Valencia was absolutely ah, magnificent. Beautiful. Against against that scrap with, uh, with with Jack Miller was absolutely sensational. And 
his racecraft, you can tell, has developed as well. And he's the That's full true. deal. He's a real deal now, which is great to see. It's wonderful to see that emerge. And there's others who are nearly there, like the Oliveras of the world. But this year, it feels like he emerged as a fully rounded championship caliber rider. And that's what I think he is now. Uh, we will talk about our champion, Johan Mayer, in just a moment. Uh, a reminder that I'll be asking both of my guests about their high points of the season in terms of Ride of the Year, uh, Team of the Year uh, as well. Uh, and I suppose we should look at a Rookie of the Year um, uh, as well for uh, the 2020 season but just a, a couple of quick thoughts before we get to Johan Mayer Nick um, it, it was in some ways it was a season and I, I don't want this to sound the wrong way but there's no other way of saying this um, I think a Morton GP season that was not hurt at all by not having Mark Marquez on it. I've turned around what I was going to say there. But, but it, it, as, you can, as you can imagine, it, it wasn't diminished by not having Mark Marquez in terms of entertainment and coming to a MotoGP weekend and frankly not knowing what was going to happen. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, Declan and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about the, the season. And I, I have a, I don't know, perhaps a more negative feeling and i totally agree it was great not knowing who was going to win but i just felt overall there were 20 what 27 26 riders who took part i felt there was a very poor standard of championship building individual great rides but you kind of felt we ended up with a winner who absolutely deserves a world championship who just won by being a little bit more consistent than the next person who was consistent and the fast guys all just lost their brains. Mm. And I just feel this is not, you know, none of these people, none of these, these, these events are going to be talked of once we get back to a real championship again. You know, there's, there's no one here who's marked themselves out as a potential great. There's, you know, it's been a year where I think the standard has been disappointing, if I'm honest. See, I look at it a different way, Dex. I look at it in, I think there was a change of, of attitude from a lot of riders because uh, it was something that Neil Hodgson and Keith Hewan said in the BT commentary over the course of the season. It was about two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of the way through. That Neil Hodgson said something which I thought was very, very well observed. That if you're riding around, if you're Alicia Spargo and you're riding around in 17th position on the Aprilla, you're riding just as hard, if not harder, than the guys at the front of the field, the Mark Marquez, if, if he had been there. And eventually it is harder and harder to motivate yourself to ride at the ragged edge to finish 17th and out of the points. And Keith turned that around, God bless him, and said, yeah, but with Mark Marquez not there now, do you not think that there are people who are now saying, oh, I can win races now. I can win races. Whereas the last 10 seasons, seven seasons, eight seasons, they've not been able to do that. And I think that put some people in, a, in an odd mental position where they maybe aren't ready to have those thoughts of, of winning races and being in championship contention, genuinely being in championship contention. And in that respect, that's why I think it didn't diminish the championship um, Marquez, Mark Marquez did it to himself, as we said right at the beginning of the show. And 
everybody else then had to carry the bat on. Some did that better than the others. But there's no asterisk next to this year's championship. It's still a world championship, albeit the asterisk is there was only 14 seasons. But I found it entertaining and I enjoyed watching riders develop this year. And I think some did. Yeah, and I think uh, the key, uh, uh, something, uh, uh, it's funny, the, the week you brought that up on the show, I was going to say it anyway, because I've been thinking about it too. With Marquez not there, it has allowed, for example, Miguel Oliveira is now a multiple Grand Prix winner. Yeah. He starts next season knowing he's a multiple Grand Prix winner. He starts next season knowing that he went out and he absolutely destroyed the field, yeah. destroyed the field yeah. uh, uh, in Portugal. John Mir knows he's a world Brilliant. champion. He's, he's a race winner. Morbidelli's a multiple race winner. Morbidelli is, now goes into next season probably in a better mental state than Fabio Quartararo. Fabio Quartararo is damaged goods now, mm. uh, as is Maverick Good Vinales. There, there's, there's riders who will carry unbelievable uh, momentum and, me- and mental uh, strength into next year. There's riders that although, will carry will baggage say, as well, mate. You're right. Uh, yes, there are. And, but I will say this. Uh, to quote Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan till you're punched in the face. Yeah, well, uh, and and that is what everybody has a plan uh, uh, until Mark Marquez gets back on a bike. Yeah, Nick, I, something I said to to Dex. I, I, I was looking at what he said. It's yeah, I respect all these guys as riders because they're obviously fantastic riders. None of them are aliens, and we won't be talking about any of them in twenty years. And that's what I feel. I and I also think if Marquez came back fully fit, he'd wipe the floor with all of them without any effort. Let's talk about our world champion, Joan Mayer. <laughs> right, not Mark Marquez. Joan uh, Mayer, 171 points from the 14 starts this year. Only second year in Mortal GP. Uh, and he never won any races in a single year in Moto2 in 2018, although he was successful, very successful in 2017 on the Honda in Moto3, where he took 10 race victories. Last year, relatively unnoticed by most people, in a season of 17 starts, he took, for him, he took 10 top 10 finishes, 10 top 10 finishes, more than half of his season, was in the top 10 in his rookie year. Unremarkable, yes, Dex, but that set, that in some ways showed us how he goes about his business. He's won a race this year. He's been third three times. He's been second three times, and he wins the championship with effectively a race to spare um, and gets to the top of the championship for Suzuki for... Uh, Davide Brivio and, and the whole Suzuki concern. I I thought after an unremarkable start, remember he was the f- he was the first guy out in the championship this year, first retirement. Yes, he actually, in the first race. In the first race, he was the first man to retire. He's put together, whatever anybody thinks, you can only race against the people there, he's put together a pretty decent championship overall. Oh, it it became it, it had an inevitability about it by about 
Cataluña or maybe... Well, to even... you it did. You you called his name very much earlier than most other people, Dex. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, and I'll tell you, I, I, I did it as well off air when uh, uh, after, uh, I believe it was uh, after the first San Marino race... Uh, Oh, sorry, first Mizano race since the San Marino Grand Prix. When on, on the post-race show, uh, Simon Crafer said, I think he could be a really uh, big threat for uh, for wins on the title next year. Uh, this was what so I love Simon Crafer. He's so beautifully... Uh, He's the world-failed uh, interviewer, isn't he, on yeah. site? Yeah. And, and I screamed at the television. I, I swear, I said, he's going to win it this year. <laughs> because, <laughs> partially because... What he did was he just he was so consistent at such a high level and nobody was going to there were none of the other riders nobody had shown to that stage that that was possible from any other rider nobody did mm. he just did it he went from from austria basically uh france was a weird struggle for him in the wet but he basically went there till he clinched the title and he just did he just went Podium, 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 podium. It was just, and it was nonstop. And the MO was the same. It was qualify okay, maybe, maybe make qualifying two or make the second row of the grid, and just wait for the tires to, to to come up, wait for other people to fall off, and pick them off one at a time. And it was, it became inevitable that, and and it was, it was remarkable to watch. And that kind of feeds into Nick's theory about the general uh, lower quality of the field, possibly. Mm. But he. And and one race win is going to always uh, hold, you know, mean he can be held up for a little bit of criticism. But I thought he was magnificent, and he's very young. He's twenty three years of yes. age. Yeah, I, and he is a big future. Uh, uh, what Dex says there underlines what we said about Suzuki, Nick. Um, delighted for Suzuki to win uh, the the championship as the manufacturer, first time since Kenny Roberts Junior. I think probably. Yep. yep. Um, and. Uh, you know, I think it's the best-looking bike in any um, two-wheeled motorsport. Uh, it, they've, for the most part, eschewed the the add-ons that everybody else went to the far end of a you-know-what about. The, the tailpiece, for me, is a work of art. I would hang it on the wall, and it just screams Suzuki. It, scream, it doesn't have to be coloured. It doesn't have to have the decals on it. You look at that, particularly if somebody has owned Suzuki, and you go, that's a Suzuki. That's absolutely a Suzuki. Couldn't be happier for them. Couldn't be happier for Joan Mayer. What he did was what Suzuki did in some respects, Nick. He made the best of what he had. He got what was on offer when all around them were losing their heads. In a normal season with Marquez, he could well have been second in the championship. Yeah, no, he, let's, let's, let's just put this in context. Um, he's a worthy world champion. He beat what was in front of him and he beat it by grinding him into the dirt. Um, you know, so... It was, a, it was a great run by, by John. He did, a, he did a really good job. I mean, it, it wasn't spectacular. You don't have to be spectacular. And perhaps sometimes trying to be spectacular can catch you out, as we saw earlier on in the season. Um, no, I think, I think he did a really good job. And Suzuki did a really good job. But he, he was a rider who could ride at every track. And Suzuki was a bike that worked reasonably well at every track. And there's certainly to that core period, really, from you know, round four till the penultimate round, they maximised their points everywhere. The only particularly poor result was in the wet in France, which was a lottery for everybody, sure. and then in Valencia, where he just did what he needed to do to win the World Championship. So, I, I, I think uh, France, brilliant. I think was a France for both him and Reigns was a product of the fact that Suzuki is so light on its tyres, they couldn't get heat into the tyres. It was so cold and so horrible mm. and so greasy. Um, I will say, by the way, as well, that they, they kind of 
fannied around in Portugal, they, they use that almost to test some electronics. Yes. And, and yeah. So they you can't re- even look at at, at, uh, at what happened to Mira in Portugal, particularly with um, no, anything, because no, they, they, were, they weren't taking that Grand Prix too seriously. No, much, <laughs> to, uh, much to the chagrin of, uh, of, of Alex Rins. Uh, guys, let's finish this off with your uh, highs and lows of, of the year. For me, one of the highs of the year were... Um, was was going to to port him out. Um, I think one of the issues of the year, I won't call it a low, was back to back races because anybody who fell off had very little time to recover, and and falling off and recovering in MotoGP is something that you've got to get used to. And only having five days before you had to get back on a bike, rather than a week or two, I, I think did hurt literally some people more than others. But it then again, it put a premium on not not falling off. Uh, Nick, your uh, your rookie of the year? Um, that's a good question. I think I probably just because he won a race, I go for Brad Binder. Dex, that's a tough one to argue against, isn't it? Uh, I, I think, you again, yeah, particularly uh, winning in your third event. Uh, yeah, I think Binder, Binder was tremendous. And uh, although... There was an argument to be made about about Alex Marquez based on 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 the yeah. what he did second half of the season. Uh, he, and what he had to deal with as well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah. But but yeah. Binder was yeah Bin, Binder was was fair fair and square rookie of the year. Yes, race of the year for you, Dex. Uh, great question. I really really enjoyed the fin- final laps in Valencia, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but I think. Uh, I think Austria, I beg your pardon, uh, well, it would be Austria, but, but the, the second the, Austria. Steer, yeah, the second Steria, Austria yeah. with, the, with the, the Oliveira win in those circumstances was absolutely sensational. It was a fantastic final few laps. Nick, your rest of the year? Love a bit of wet France. Yes, it was a bit of the lottery. Nick, uh, the, the bike of the year then? Oh, Suzuki. Because it was good everywhere, good all round. Because it was the best bike, and because they were, you know, they were the team that maximised what they could do. I mean, Red Bull did a very good, very good job from being a year further behind, but luckily Suzuki were a year further ahead in the development and managed to, to do the job. Brilliant. Suzuki for you as well, Dex. No, Tech Three. Ah. Tech Three, so I can, so I can give, I can give every Poncheral. Uh, props for his first ever win. He's been doing this. They've been around here doing this for twenty plus years, and and. Just uh, the nicest people. Everybody. So that would be your team of the year rather than your bike of the year, though. Uh, well, yeah, that'd be mine, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fairness. No, no, but, but that. that but, no, okay, that's well, all right. I'll give you that. I'll, I'll absolutely but, give you that. But, uh, but uh, I think uh, I suppose it'd be churlish not to give the bike of the year to to uh, to the Suzuki. But but the but the RC16 uh, in and the K, the the Tech Three RC16 and that whole story just for them getting the win. And no, I agree. Great the, the, one of the nicest men in 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 two wheel motorsport in Hervé Poncherel is just a fantastic story. So, and is is the rider of the year Dex? Is he Johan Mayer? Uh, uh, yes, although. Franco Morbidelli runs him uh, close. If we'd gone a little bit longer in the championship, I think we might be having a different. If this championship had gone on slightly longer, we might be having a different discussion. But yeah, it's got to be Joanne Mir. Yeah, he just he 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 took what he had and he made. He did make chicken salad out of it, but yeah. no, but it was never. No, he made no, he made really nice chicken salad out of a pretty average chicken salad. All right, okay, <laughs> so, Nick, right. Uh, this is going to sound contrary and. 
might sound like I'm just saying it for effect, but I truly believe the rider who had the biggest influence on this world championship was Mark Marquez. Yeah, but he can't be your rider of the year. He's my rider of the year because everything else came from what well, he did in that first race. No, but he didn't ride. So you can't, I'm Ro- sorry, I'm not letting you have it. You're not? All right, I'll go for Takina Hagama then. Okay. Yeah, that's a good call. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I would, he's he's impressed me the most of the of the other riders. No, you see, Doing... I have no problem with that. I'm not, as I say, I'm not letting you have um, the, <laughs> the, the the what you said. But um, thank you guys. Uh, we're now in the motorcycle less sporting vacuum uh, that uh, is the winter months. Before provisionally, we're back on the 28th of March at Lasalle in Qatar, before we allegedly go to Argentina in April, Circuit of the Americas also in April, then Jerez and Le Mans in May, along with uh, Mugello, and then Barcelona, Saxon Ring, and Assen in June. July is the Kimi Ring in Finland, uh, a TBD also in July, then August Red Bull Ring, Silverstone, September is Motorland, Misano, October, uh, four weekends there with Twin Wing, Matagi, Chang, Phillip Island and Sepang. Then it's Valencia in uh, on the 14th of November. The good news for me, the best news of the season is the Algarve International Circuit at Portimao is the first reserve and I will eat a comedy hat if that doesn't get back on the championship calendar because a few of those that I have mentioned will not make it. Congratulations to Johan Mayer, uh, to Suzuki uh, for their championship uh, upside down, back to front and round and round MotoGP for 2020. Whatever else you think about it, you can't say that it lacked entertainment, excitement. A little bit of controversy as well comes in handy. My thanks to Nick Damon and to Declan Brennan. I'm John Hindorf and there'll be more on Radio Show Limit as we look back at two and four-wheeled sport from 2020 in the next few days. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.